Recording in progress. If it, until you do that, it doesn't matter. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> it's the best you're going to get pretty, from me tonight. Pretty good. <laughs> Are you ready to start? I guess we could have already been started. I don't know. Are you ready to start? I, we might have started. I don't know what y'all are going to do with this. Yeah, let's start. I don't know. What are you, you all? What are you, who's you all? Well, you, well, you and Steve, and Steve yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Well, you yeah. were asking me, how did we get on my playing days? My <laughs> Well, we were talking about the... You know, you know I used to do this on, on KJR. I used to say, <laughs> okay, we would get on like, like six different tangents, and then I'd yes. say, stop. We need to walk our way how we got here. Remember right. we used to do that? For yes. That. So my question is, how did we get on a my We started with what? The NBA the, All-Star game? So the All-Star game? game, the NBA All-Star game, and I think it's the 75th anniversary team, the All-75 team, whatever it is. Yes. And you were you had remarked that the older players, like 20 of them, they had kind of messed up pinkies. Their pinkies were pointing the yeah, wrong way. Yeah, I, I couldn't figure that. They were all coming out, you know, all, I, I don't want to say who it was, McAdoo and whatever. They'd come out and wave and like, a very high percent. They're all very old. Yeah. A, v- a very high percentage of those on this team, whatever this commemorative team was, would wave, and their pinky was pointing in the wrong direction. And I was and like, so, "Wait a second! Is this a common trait? Is this yeah. the way you become an NBA all timer? You got to have a bad pinky, or did they all suffer this type of tendon injury in their <laughs> playing days? It must have all." Right. Yeah. They and, my, my, and my guess was, yeah, that is from jamming your finger. But I jam, and, and I, oh, I see. And then, well, said for jamming finger. And I said, because I was yeah. born with my pinkies oh, kind of messed those, up. Look They're at those crooked. pinkies. Look at They're those crooked. Pinkies. Yeah. But it's kind of backwards for me because playing basketball, rec league basketball in Hillsborough, Oregon, uh, you know, I jammed my finger on a ball, had a right. hairline fracture. Right. And it actually kind of straightened this one out right. uh, a little bit. So I right. kind of have the reverse. Got it. Action. And then and I then- said, <laughs> I've jammed everyone. I, I I showed you my fingers. I have Fred Flintstone's fingers, uh-huh. short and fat, and all my knuckles are like swollen. I yeah. swear it's because I constantly, constantly jam my fingers playing basketball, at which uh-huh. time you said... But I thought you just stood in the corner and waited for them to lob you the ball to shoot threes. Yes, at which time I said. <laughs> you said they weren't even threes back then. Yes. They were only they only count for two. You think you think I'm younger than I am, which is a, a, a great. <laughs> we're off to a good start on 179 because apparently hi, uh, I was going to say Hacha Slickhawk thinks I'm younger than I am when I played high school ball. There was no such thing as a three-point shot. <laughs> and we played in it's true. And we played with Peach Basket. No, we didn't play with Peach Basket. <laughs> when you and James, when you made up the game. Yeah. No, and so um yeah, and, and then and, how and do we <laughs> then we I think we ended uh I, I asked, well, what would the analytics say about you hucking it up from out there when it only counts for two instead of three? Well, no, I actually said to you that I will admit that when I came into the game, we went right into our zone defense. Because <laughs> nobody nobody tried. Trusted Mitch Levy to play man to man against City. So they had to, they hide they used to hide me in a zone. I used to oh no. stop zone. The analytics. A little help. They got you, you a little help. What do you mean by analytics? What do you mean? Analytics. You know that you analytics. No, no, no. But what's the question about my three point? Uh, my, oh my no, just because everything's about you know you you maximize points by shooting threes right, right. or right. scoring in the paint. 
But that's why the mid-range jumper is kind of gone the way to the dodo. Because if you shoot an 18-footer, it's like, why are you shooting from so far out if you're not going to get rewarded with the extra point? By the way, Gary Payton, as we're recording, this just came out. He waved, and his pinky is fine. I'm I'm here to report. I'm breaking news on Mitch Unfiltered. Gary Payton's pinkies are fine. I was worried. I I didn't know I was worried. But apparently I was worried about it until right now. I think I said this on a, a recent edition of Mitch Unfiltered. This is my contention, and no one will be able to prove me wrong. I think I think my senior year, I averaged about six or seven points a game mm-hmm. as a as a high school basketball guard. I like to say if the three point line existed, those six or seven, it would have been forty or forty five a game. Oh wow, wow, <laughs> man, you were just a victim of the times, I guess. Uh. Anyway, you could have been been the first Steph. Steph could have been the next Mitch Levy. Yeah, well, yeah. I taught him (laughs) everything he knows. Right. Uh, I guess we should actually. uh, This isn't actually the start, but we didn't even. This is the tease. We actually did the. I haven't even started the tease yet. Good Lord. When we do our patron shows, we always joke before we start the show. Now we do a tease, but now this is the tease to the tease. This is the okay. warm-up to the warm-up. Because I haven't even said this is episode 179. I haven't even done Slicky. Mitchie. Yeah, we haven't even done that yet. <laughs> but do we do that when we? it's the main I show? I don't when know it's if the, we do that. Do the we non-patron do show? I don't know. I okay. Don't know. A hot shot is vacationing in the desert. Ooh. It's a good time of year to do it. He's in uh, Arizona for, uh, for girls basketball tournaments. So he's Fun. out. And yeah. Slicky is doing double duty this week. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I feel great. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, you, it's a good time. You think this is going to go okay? Do you think? Well, we'll, we'll see how I feel, I don't know, half hour, 45 minutes from now. <laughs> but right now, I feel great. <laughs> do you think we could do anything more compelling than Mitch Levy's corner jump shot? Uh, and my, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I don't want to make any promises. And the metrics. Uh, uh, undersell, over deliver, right? Not the other way around. All right. Mitch Unfiltered <laughs> is available on all major podcast platforms. Please tap the subscribe button if you haven't already done so that you can receive all the Monday shows. If you have an extra minute, Slickhawk, rate yeah. and review us on Apple. Five stars would be glorious if you give us a five-star ranking. If one Mitch Unfiltered show per week on Mondays is not enough, you can become a Mitch Unfiltered patron at MitchUnfiltered.com. Five bucks a month, and you get all the other shows, the normal shows with you, you and I, what do we call it? Shooting the Shooting shit, the shit. With Slick and Mitch and the Danny O'Neill part and, and all the shows that we do during the week. It costs five. Hotshot does music shows. It, does, it costs $5 a month. But as I always say, if there's anybody in our audience that's listening right now, who would love to be a patron because, but be because of some extenuating circumstances in their life, they just can't be spending $5 a month on this, just email me at mitchunfiltered.com and I'll take care of it. Because the point is not to, not to have listeners if they can't be a listener. Does that make right. sense? Any yeah, of that makes sure. sense to you? That, Any of it? It all makes sense to me. All right. Should I, do I do, need to do all that over again? Or could I just leave it as it is? I don't think I can sit through it again. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, one programming announcement that even you don't know. Okay. You're throwing me a curveball right here. You Live get on the, podcast. You get, the, such a thing. you get the patron week off this week. Oh, really? So this is your patron show. Okay. Although it's a little bit lengthier and we'll have to throw yeah. a couple extra dollar bills in your in your envelope. <laughs> you, right. you actually get the patron week off because I'm going to Florida 
to visit my 87-year-old mother for a few days. I'm getting on a plane and going across the country, getting into some warmth and putting my arms around my mom. So there'll be no patron shows this week. I'm going to take the patron show week off, but I'll be back in time to record. This is 179. I'll be back to record 180 for a release on the following Monday. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Do I need to do that all over again? Are you? No, I think that was good. How does the first weekend, how weird is the first weekend after the Super Bowl? (laughs) I always forget about this. It's this one weekend that's different because once we get to like next weekend, I'm kind of over it. I'm into college Mm -hmm. basketball, whatever. For some reason, it's such a strange deal that first weekend after the Super Bowl. Am I right? I feel like I got all kinds of time. Yeah, I know. It's the longest weekend ever. I mean, just Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's all of it because you don't have Sunday taking up your whole day. Friday, hung out, uh, out. went to the golf course with the wife. We played a round of golf. You did? Yeah, we did. Yeah. Wow. During spring and summer, we tried to go like once a week. First it's a a disposal (laughs) and now it's golf? What's next for you guys? So, Amy and I, we went out, played, played a little golf down here in Tacoma, went out to the went and saw Dio Hughley at the comedy club. Oh my uh, god, really? watched college basketball. DL Hughley. Yeah. Wow, yeah, Dio Hughley. What comedy? One of the original club? kings of comedy. Uh, so it's a spot down here, it's a newer place called Nate Jackson's Super Funny Comedy Club, and it is one of only eight, I believe, eight, maybe nine, but I believe eight. Uh, comedy clubs nationally that are black owned and it's down here right in the corner of Tacoma and Lakewood. Okay. Uh, it's a great spot, real nice, real spread out. And right. uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a really good time. Very, very nice. Yeah. That's yeah. a nice weekend. Yeah. I, now are was, you a good golfer? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> are you a okay golfer? Are you a no, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. So, and, oh, no, and a matter of fact, Saturday night we went to Top Golf too over at T-Mobile, but uh, what? which was a blast. Yeah. What do you mean, what do you mean so, Top go- Golf? Top over go- at so T-Mobile. T-Mobile, T-Mobile Park is hosting Top Golf Live. So it's like it's like uh, you know what Top Golf is. Yes, right? I've never been to one, but I know what yeah. it is. Yes. Yeah, and so it's kind of like a, a mini version, like a stripped down version. It's just you go out there and up on the suite level, they've got all these bays set up and eight to a bay or whatever, and you just you aim at targets and it, really? it's a blast. Yeah, it's like an hour at a time. You can reserve. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So I we did that, that too with some friends and everything. I hear. So, yeah. That, I hear there's a Top Golf coming. To uh to Renton or like near, I heard that Renton I heard yeah. Renton yeah yeah how about Pumped. that I've never been to one before Pump I don't even know so, where yeah. I would go to one There's not one around here Why you No uh, the closest one I know of is actually down in the Portland area like Hillsboro Oh, oh okay know? but no yeah. so we uh we do we try to get out like once a week and and work on our game uh my game needs a lot of work so <laughs> So tell <laughs> me what what kind of game do you have Give our listeners a sense I mean, if I break a hundred, it's a good day. Oh. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's coming together. You know, my short game, actually, I'm a, I'm a pretty decent putter. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good with a wedge or a nine or eight iron in my hand, but yeah. anything longer than that, I struggle, you know, but when club, we do so. the other stuff segment, which is the last segment that we do of this episode, 179, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, remind, remember this, remember this, cause it's a long time away. Because we've got to do the first segment, we've got to do three interviews, and then the other stuff segment. But right. remember this, because I'm going to tell you why Slickhawk, who has trouble breaking 100, could have played in this weekend's 
Champions Tour event, won by Bernie Langer, <laughs> Bernard Langer. Uh, you're not 50 yet. Not, not yet, not, not quite. Close. No. Um, you'd have to be 50, but I'm going to tell you and the other stuff. I was stuff born segment, in the three-point era. <laughs> you were born in the three-point <laughs> era. I'm going to tell you why in the other stuff segment. You could have played in this week's Champions Tour event in Tampa, Florida. Oh, my, I just one missed by, it. One by Bernhard Longer. Which I is wish amazing. I had known. Yeah. I'm going to tell you why. You'll, you'll, you'll understand when we get to the other stuff segment. I should tell you that guests on this episode 179. Now, normally, I would list the guests right here. I don't know how, how familiar you are with the, the format of this show. I'm very familiar. Normally, I would list the guests and I would tell you a little bit about them and kind of promote them and, and get you excited, get you all lathered up for the, for the guests. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something I've never done in 179 shows. You're going to talk shit about them. Nope. No. <laughs> one of the guests, I'm just going to give you his name, and you've never heard of his name. He's the number one guest. He's going to be the first guest up on this 179. I'm just going to tell you his name and tell you to listen. I'm going to say nothing more about him. Okay. His name is Ryan Passborg. I, actually, I will tell you. He's a Wyoming <laughs> resident. All right. You've never heard of him, nor had I until last week. And rather than tell you what the reason is and why he'd be on the show. I, I just don't think I can do it justice. I'm going to tell you, listen to segment one, listen to interview number one, and you'll find out the reason. And I think after the interview's over, I think it's about 17 or 18 minutes. You will know exactly why I didn't even attempt. I didn't even attempt oh. to explain who Ryan Passborg is in the tease of episode 179. That's all I'm That's saying. really exciting, actually. I'm, I'm not, now I'm excited. He's guest number one. And, okay. and I hope that Steve Dion, when he does the description and he types up all the stuff that goes on the computer and on your phone, when you get one, I hope he doesn't give too much of it away. I got to remember after we finish recording to send him a text and say, don't I was say, say, we have these devices. You can actually communicate with Steve yeah. Dion. You can tell him what you wanted to say. <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't want him to get because what's the as I remember as a producer of your show. Yes. You know, over communication was never really a problem for you what? when it came to these kinds of things. What? What? What, you, what are you saying, Slickhawk? Just I'm just saying say I'm just saying yes. that you were particular about certain things and you were communicative, <laughs> communicative about those. That's the number one question I get anytime uh -oh. is Go ahead. what, what was it? What's, what's it like, it like working to work with Mitch? With Mitch? What yeah. It, yeah. And I just said, when they say, what was Mitch like, or what is Mitch like? I just say, he's very particular because you are, but that's, that's what makes you great. That's what makes you great. But it feels like a shot. It feels like I should be ringing It doesn't the have to be. <laughs> but it feels like I should be ringing the bell. Why? I mean, from the outside like looking in, yeah. maybe in, uh, it's, not a, it's not a shot. It's kind no, of it's a not. shot. No, it's not a shot because I could take a shot. Right, I could take several. Break, break it down. How much yeah. of it is just a comment and not a shot? Of 100%, and how much of it is the blame pie? Let's get 80, out 20. the 80 20. <laughs> Which way? 80, 80 20 <laughs> is just a comment. 20% so of it's a shot. 20 gets the bell. <laughs> 19 19% is the threshold to get the bell. So you got over. <laughs> you took your shot. Uh, all right. So, guest number one is Wyoming resident Ryan Passport, and I'm going to say nothing more of the sort. Okay? Yeah. Uh, guest number two is a guy named Ian O'Connor. You know the name Ian O'Connor? 
I don't think I do. You probably would know it if you saw it. He is okay. a longtime New York sports writer. Maybe on the schnoz at some point. Maybe not. Doesn't ring a bell. He is now an author. He did a book on Derek Jeter. He did a bestseller on Bill Belichick. He did a bestseller on Arnie and Jack. Do you know who Arnie and Jack would be? I do know who yeah. they are. Yeah. They were a little better at what you were just talking about than you. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. but but still, you could have played on the Champions Tour event. <laughs> um, and he's got a brand new book out. I think it came out this week. It's now available everywhere. I think it's going to do great. I'm going to read it on my flight from here to Florida if I have it. If not, from Florida back here. It's called Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. As you know, he's finishing out his college coaching career. Most call him the well, not most. Some call him the greatest coach of all time. Yeah. But he's an interesting story. There's a lot about Mike Krzyzewski that you don't know about. I believe that. Yeah. I believe so that. So Ian O'Connor is going to tell us stories about Mike Krzyzewski. He'll be guest number two. Okay. And then guest number three is a guy that you probably know or remember Outspoken golf writer John Hawkins. I call him the Hawk. <laughs> Nobody more unfiltered about golf than John Hawkins. And I just need somebody to talk about Phil with me. The right. latest. I just need somebody it's... to talk about Flipper, Titskala, <laughs> Phil, Mickelson, and some of his latest quotes. I need and Tiger's Richard. Is Tiger coming back to the master for the masters? Is he not? Is he going to make it back? He was talking about it this week in Los Angeles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, if Tigers, if you look at Tigers last comments and then results when it came to, was he going to play in the, you know, in the, in the father son tournament, possum. he plays. It, yeah. It's, it's real similar. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to draw the same conclusions, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What is that? The transitive property? I don't know what that is. No, but, um, no, definitely not. Uh, <laughs> Pythagorean theorem or something. De definitely not. Um, no, it was funny because anybody who listened to the the, the shooting the shit last week on the patron show, yes, um, I hadn't, I wasn't aware yet of the the Phil Mickelson story and the comments and everything. But it's like immediately after we got done recording that, I was inundated. I mean, it was in my face everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. online, yeah, at, at at Red Robin on the TV screen, everywhere. There were news not just, and it's it's not just. Sports, a sports no. story. It's a national news story. Well, he's he's out there saying, I know that these people are inhumane in Saudi Arabia. I know that they're awful and some some atrocious behavior towards human beings, but I don't really care. I'm going to use them to see if I can leverage my position. And you throw in the cherry on top, which is he's a $500 million guy that's complaining about money. Yeah. About people being greedy. Which everybody which, always loves. Uh, so <laughs> I need somebody to talk to about Flipper and see if he's going to maybe finally some people. Have you been noticing? I get I get every once in a while somebody tweets me that they got blocked. Phil Mickelson is blocking people on Twitter. Did you know that? No. Yes. No, I wonder who yes. who is who is good enough, who is not good enough to associate with Phil Mickelson when, you know, Saudi Arabia is. That's why I want to know. <laughs> good question. It's a very good question. So And when are you going to get blocked? Uh, I'm never going to get blocked because I'm never going to tweet to him. But a lot of people have been <laughs> tweeting at him and they've been getting blocked. Anyway, John Hawkins, Ian O'Connor, and the guy that I'm not telling you anything about except that he's Wyoming resident, Ryan Passport. Those are the three guests on episode 179. And I suppose you're kind of a guest. Oh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm here for Scott and we're yeah. just, we're talking, we're shooting, but, but you we're know, shooting it. But you know how I know you're not a guest? How's that? 
guests don't take 20% shots <laughs> at the host. They're normally No, they go full of- bore. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when Hector Camacho, uh-huh. I believe, may he rest in peace. I think he's dead. I think I, you're right. I remember before your days at KJR, he threatened to beat me up and he hung up on me. Yeah, yeah. I've had some guests go, yeah, haywire. On Is KJR. that right? Yeah, he threatened to be, I'll kick your ass, and he hung the phone up. Wow. Yeah. I don't even remember what I asked him. You'd have to ask, like, yeah. rock star Bob. I think Bob was <laughs> was w- w- working the show with me. But, yeah, I said something that pissed he him must off. must have been extra particular that day. I, <laughs> now, how much, what percentage of that was a shot? 90. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Hot Shot out and Slicky in for episode 179. Presented by Fireside Home Solutions, title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition during the NFL season. We paid off 25 winners this year. Whether it's a new toasty fireplace or a brand new set of garage doors, begin your search as we do. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. The brand new Kirkland office of Cross Country Mortgage Grew by one a couple of weeks ago. Shout out to Barrett Flowers. Already two shots better than his dad on the golf course. Jordan's team is ready for your call to save you lots of money. Hundreds off of your monthly mortgage. 425-890-2957. Evergreen Golf Call Tax Advisor Certified Financial Planners. Experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof evergreengk.com Zeke's Pizza keeping their discount codes from the Super Bowl through March Madness. Download the Zeke's Pizza app and have Zeke's to your door. Pizza, beer, salads in no time. Homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, March 12th. The biggest and best annual event that Lindsay and his crew host at the Bellevue location. The 11th annual Bourbon Bash. An amazing array of bourbons on display with the best food that the Northwest has to offer. Danielsbroiler.com. A few tickets still remain. Episode 179 with my dear friend Matt Slickhawk Miklas begins right now. Unfiltered. We talked about Dan Marino, my all-time favorite player. There was so much to like about him. One of the things that you loved about him, but you didn't really focus on it when he was in his prime, was how quickly he got rid of the ball and the way he got rid of the ball before he took a hit. Dan Marino was sacked 75 times in his first five seasons. Joe Burrow was sacked 70 times this year. Unfiltered. The single most important running play of their year, and they gave it to this guy, and he ran right into Aaron Donald. They almost deserved to lose. That's a, that's just like an oversight of, of gigantic proportion. Mitch is unfiltered. Slicky. <laughs> Episode 179 is now officially underway. All right. I like it. Let's Mitchell do it. Filtered. I like our slicky Mitchy uh the tradition. Repartee. I like yeah. I, I I think you're the you and I are the only ones that really like it. <laughs> I don't <That's> fine. <laughs> <laughs> like most oh. of the jokes we always told over the years, we're the only ones laughing, probably. That's okay. I, I was I was worried a little bit as the week progressed without football that we were gonna get to Sunday and I was gonna have Slickhawk on the Zoom and we were gonna do the 
do the show, and we weren't going to have any fun topics to talk about. And then on Sunday, Jawan Howard decided oh, to help us out a little bit. <laughs> the former, can you name the Fab Five? Can I name the Fab Five? Can you, if you got a no, but I put it in my notes a joke about a, a hotshot Scott like joke about the Fab Five, but I can't use now because I thought this was going to be in the other stuff segment, but it's here now. Oh, I, oh, okay, that's fine. Okay, Jawan. Oh boy, you're gonna yeah. Have, if you got what, start, what was that like eighty nine? The Fab Five, ninety. Yeah, somewhere yes. in the late eighties, early nineties, right? Steve Fisher, like Jawan Howard, Chris. Weber. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Jalen Rose, maybe. Yeah, it sounds about right. Wasn't there a guy like sounds Jimmy Jackson? We're forgetting somebody. Chris Weber. Chris I said Weber. Oh, okay. I said Weber. So Weber, Howard, Jalen Rose, definitely. Yeah. We're missing a couple. I think Jimmy Jackson. I think there was a guy. Not Jimmy Jackson. Jimmy Jackson was on Ohio State. I'm trying to remember that. Not Glenn Robinson. No, definitely not Glenn Robinson. No. Anyway, he was one of the Fab Five. What do you think? You obviously saw it on Sunday. What do you think? He yeah. A, he took a swing. He took a swipe. Do I need to... Do I need to fill in the gaps for the people in our audience that don't know what happened? I think I think people know. I think people saw yeah. it. Yeah, they're in the they're in the handshake line, right. and he had some words with right. the, the other coach, and had to be separated. And then he gave kind of an overhand slap, or as as Howard calls it, the Fab Five. He just straight to the face, you know. <laughs> just, that was going to be for Hotshot Scott. That's uh, what, that's what I put that in there for. <laughs> so what happened is, and I don't know whether you care about the, the rest of the story. You had um, you had Wisconsin against Michigan. Wisconsin's 15 points ahead. There's 15 seconds to go. Wisconsin's got their reserves in. Michigan's kind of pressuring them. Now, one guy called it a press, and the other guy said I wasn't pressing. But he said I, I, put, some, I put all my reserves in, and they had four seconds to get the ball across the line, and I didn't want them to fail, so I called a timeout because the, the referee came up to me and said, Without me calling a timeout, he came up to me and he said, listen, coach, if you take a timeout, they get a full 10 seconds after the timeout. It's a little right. no, little known rule. If they're if they're failing, if you're failing to get the ball across the half court, you can take a timeout, then you get the full 10 <laughs> seconds. Yeah. So he took a timeout. Jawan Howard hated that. He thought it was rubbing it in. The game was already over. And he took a timeout. Jawan Howard says we weren't pressing. We were just playing man-to-man. Well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was a man-to-man press, I suppose. Yeah, man-to-man in the backcourt. <laughs> I, I, think if, I think if you're playing man-to-man in the backcourt, that counts as a press, Coach Howard. I think anyway, so. Um, and the Wisconsin coach went to shake his hand. You've probably seen the video. And first, Jawan Howard was not going to get in the line. Mm-hmm. Then he got in the line. And when he got to the, the coach, guard, he, he, took the, he took the mask off. And he said, I'm going to remember that. I'll remember that. Yeah. At which time the Wisconsin coach tried to stop him and he did grab him. Mm-hmm. He grabbed Howard to try to explain what he was doing and why he did it. And and Howard wanted none of it. And he just wanted to go by him. He was going to snub him. And then that's when all, all shit broke loose. Yep. Uh, assistants got in the way. And that's when How- Howard hit an assistant kind of with an open hand, would you call it a punch? A slap? I wouldn't call it, it was a swipe. A swipe. Yeah, it was a swipe. A swipe. You know, it was just kind of, a, yeah, it was open-handed. There wasn't open a ton up. behind yeah. it. He was kind of moving back when he now, did it. Now, for me, it was a swipe. what I said on Twitter, and I'll say to you, for me, and I, I probably shouldn't make fun of something that gave college basketball a black eye for at least on a Sunday, mm-hmm. but 
If you go back to the CBS broadcast where the guys, they actually did the play-by-play of the fight. Oh, jeez. Yeah, because they were just <laughs> they were just about to sign off right. when they caught the fight and they stayed on to, to call the fight. <laughs> While the fight was breaking out, you had the March Madness music playing in the background. <laughs> it was beautiful. <laughs> da, 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 da. Howard throws a right. Da, da, da. It was it was beautiful theater. Anyway. This year's tournament's going to be a real slobber knocker. <laughs> so so that, now should the, just, they, that should be their advertisement for March. So Madness now the question is, what do we do with Howard? I mean, yeah, Coach Lake. It's a bad now. Coach a bad scene. Coach Lake, of course, his physicality came with a player, which is mm-hmm. a huge difference to, to to slapping slapping an assistant co- a coach. Wasn't yeah. a player, but should he? Everybody thinks he, he's going to get suspended. There's no question. He may be sure. suspended. Some people think he's going to be suspended by the Big Ten for the rest of the year. Literally, he will not coach another game. You just cannot. No matter what Wisconsin did, no matter what the coach said, no matter what happened, as soon as he threw that, whatever you want to call it, swipe, that he's that's it. He's going to be suspended. You cannot tolerate Some have Probably. said Some have said he should be fired. I, I wouldn't. Um, I mean, fired. I wouldn't put that. I wouldn't put that past a, a board uh, to do that. Michigan. I mean, look, it's it's not what he did in in a vacuum. It's everything else that tra- now you've got players fighting other players, yeah. and it, it becomes a whole scene, a whole Terrible. violent scene that was led by the leader of the team. That's right. You can't have that. There has to be drastic Fire action. Him. Maybe I. I mean, maybe yeah. It's it's it, it was a bad look. It's a bad look on basketball. It's a bad anytime you have a melee like that. And, you know, nobody I don't think got seriously hurt or anything like that. But just you you can't have those kids fighting other kids like that when it's instigated by by the person who's supposed to bring decorum to any kind of situation like that. I I think if they're Michigan, I mean, from what I could tell, he's doing a great job. I I don't I haven't followed Michigan. I know they're having a disappointing season, but it seems like since he arrived, he's gotten great recruits. He's had some success. And remember, what complicates this thing, and it shouldn't, this should have nothing to do with it. He's a legendary Michigan figure. I yeah. mean, Jimmy Jimmy Lake, and I know I, I'm comparing apples and oranges. Jimmy Lake kind of pushed a player, and it wasn't a coach or whatever. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Lake, you know, was like, I mean, J- yeah, he was the coach for a, a day of the <laughs> University of Washington. Didn't play there, didn't, yeah. This is Jawan Howard. This was a member of the Fab freaking Five. And was, one of the two or three that we can remember. <laughs> and he came back. He came back to Michigan to take over the program. I mean, you, it's going to be difficult for a Michigan AD to fire that guy, right? Oh, yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, 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 but there's going to be pressure. I mean, you know there's going to be pressure. Outside yeah, pressure. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, so. Definitely. I don't know. Oh. Glad it's not my job. I just write little just, hotshot jokes just, about it. Have you seen the highlight from CBS? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Have you seen it with the music in the background? I didn't hear the music. No, oh, I go didn't. back to my Twitter. Just go to my Twitter and go back to the portion of the day where this happened. And mm-hmm. I, I retweeted it. Go back and put it sound up just as he's about to throw the swipe. That's perfect. It was really good. Almost as perfect as uh, the Tiger Woods chip on 16 with the the Nike logo as it just into the hole. (laughs) Quote, a lot of things have got to happen for me to play 
the Masters. Yeah. Which, by the I'm way, sure. what, is he saying this year's Masters or any Masters? This year's Masters. See, he so was asked, he will play. He was asked, could you play at the Masters? And he said, I'm going to the dinner this yep. year. I'll be there yep. for the uh, champions dinner. And I can't tell you for sure either way, but a lot of things have got to happen for me to be able to play there. To me, that's leaving the door slightly ajar. Slightly ajar. Slightly. You walk right through it. <laughs> he's, it <laughs> that means he's already working toward playing the Masters. He's so, uh, look, we had questions if he would ever golf again, if he would ever walk again. So the fact that he said that about this championship means he will play in a Masters and potentially several Masters, which I think that was all kind of probably other than his health. We yes. put that aside. Yes. Kind of our chief concern. Yes. And it sounds like that's not going to be an issue, hopefully. So barring setbacks and things, it's again, I wasn't planning on him playing was uh, competitively this year. So that's that's a little much to expect, I think. But, yeah. you know, it's Tiger was, freaking Woods. I was kind of thinking the British Open because it's at St. Andrews this year. So I was uh, thinking it may be the British Open. Anyway, we'll come back to golf later. Uh, the other topic that I wanted to mention in the first segment before we get to the three guests is probably a more comfortable segment for me to do with Hotshot, only because you bring this kind of Oregon ducky thing to the... I know. And I don't want that to be a part, because I, I want to talk about something serious, and I want you to take your Oregon Phil Knight stupid Donald Duck-looking cap off for a second. You love that logo. It's a great-looking <laughs> logo. You love I, it. I, I just want you to humor <clears throat> me on this. Yeah. I, I've got a lot. I've got a lot of kind of mixed emotion. This is called unfo. So, so pulling at me in one direction is the name of the show. I feel like when I started doing this show back in November of whatever it was, 2018, um, that I was just going to let it fly. I was not going to hold back, and for the most part, I haven't. So I've got the name of the show pulling me at one direction on this topic, and I've got my heart and my Syracuse orange blood pulling at me in a different direction for what I'm about to say, mm -hmm. because you know that that Washington's coach is Mike Hopkins. I think everybody knows where he comes from. Yes. I, I believe that Mitch Levy and Mike Hopkins actually overlapped one year. I believe he didn't play while I was there because he I think he was red shirted mm -hmm. my senior year. But I believe we were on campus. I didn't know him at all. And, I, you know, once he started playing, you loved him because you, you don't remember him. But he was one of these guys. He was playing with like four All-Americans, like first team All-Americans, NBA players. And it was him, them and Mike Hopkins. And <laughs> he was all he was the guy that was all over the floor. He was always cut. He was always bleeding. He always had the trainer working on like a cut over. It was like he was like a boxer. He was in the corner. He was always getting elbowed and he was diving after the ball. He just loved Hopkins. And then he was the longtime assistant for Jim Beheim. Everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. And then he was hired by Washington. He was called the he was called the coach in waiting at Syracuse. But of course, the coach doesn't ever want to retire. So the, the coach in waiting sat there for a long time. And then he was hired by Jen Cohen, and she was really excited to replace Lorenzo Romo. And then he came in, and you know the story: two yeah. two Pac-12 Coaches of the Year awards right mm -hmm. away, and mm -hmm. everything looked great. Um, boy. And I know that in recent weeks and months, they've actually had a little bit of a metamorphosis. They've come alive a little yeah. bit before these last three like games. Four games ago, they look like, hey, maybe they're playing for a tournament spot. Uh, I think it was a little. 
Well, it was a little exaggerated, but they were. Let's put it this: they way. were third in the conference. They were seven and three, and they were winning games, and they had they had started to play competitive basketball. We can say that. And then these last three games where kind of rubber met the road, they played the three good teams. Well, not the three, because I think Orange, I think your team is very good too. But they played Arizona, USC, and UCLA, three of the best teams in the Pac-12. They lost all three, but they trailed Arizona by 20. Think about this. The last three games, they trailed Arizona by 28 at one point. They trailed USC by 23 at one point. And they trailed UCLA by 35. <laughs> On Saturday, those are three consecutive games and getting blown out by all of them. So what I wanted to say is, you know, I had Jason Hamilton. Did you hear the Jay Ham interview a couple of segments, a couple of episodes ago? I didn't. Okay, I asked him the question that everybody wants to know, which is, you know, is Hop's job in jeopardy? Is he on thin ice, whatever? And Jason said and he, he, he prefaced it by saying, look, I don't know. I don't talk to Jen Cohen about this. None of this stuff is my business. I do the games, mm-hmm. but you no. Know, but my guess is, my hunch is, he was never in trouble then, before this turnaround, and he's not in trouble now, and he's not on thin ice now, that he's he's going to be back next year. Which okay. which my Syracuse heart says, good for him, let him, give him another year, and let's hope he can succeed. But on Saturday night, so my wife went back to Washington, D.C. to be with her family before meeting me in Florida. So it's just me and my high school son. My college son is at college. And on Saturday night, he was out with his buddies, as he would be. He's a sophomore in high school. So I was left alone figuring out what to do. And I went over to this little this little kind of bar grill that's in the neighborhood that has all kinds of TVs. It was Saturday night. They were playing. Yeah. You're, you're, that was a hell of a game. Arizona and Oregon are playing. Yeah, the Olympics game. are on. Sports Center's on. There's other games going on. There's NBA All-Star Saturday night going on. I mean, a lot of sports going on. I figured I'd go by myself. I have a dinner and watch some of the TVs, whatever was on the TV. So I go mm-hmm. over there, and they've got like 12 or 15 TVs within sight of where I was sitting, right? Mm-hmm. And the place is packed, packed with people, mostly young to middle-aged men. And when I tell you, and this was not because they were getting blown out, the Washington, Washington's playing UCLA in basketball on a Saturday night. And I know this is not a college basketball town. I get it. It's a football town, whatever. They're playing UCLA on a Saturday night. And I'm at a restaurant grill seven miles from campus and there is not one TV on the game. The game is not on one and it's just nothing but sports. Mm-hmm. People are watching, people are drinking, people are having fun. Not one TV on UCLA Washington. Now you might say, okay, so what's the big deal, Mitch? They don't know. They're just serving burgers and they're just putting games up. They don't know. Okay. That's not the injustice. The injustice is there's not one person, all one person, and I could have done it, sure. all, all one person of that large group of men, middle-aged, whatever, had to say, hey, could you put the Washington UCLA game? Oh, sure. They would have done it in a heartbeat. We've we've been that guy. Okay. <laughs> Honest to God, it just smacked me in the face. Now, I know this isn't a big thing, yeah, but this is just like, it slapped me in the face and I started thinking, how irrelevant, no one cares mm-hmm. no one cares not the first person has any care of that whole group we are seven miles 
from the campus of the University of Washington and UCLA's playing Washington and nobody in the restaurant cares. No, no, no guy cares. No sports fan cares. And yeah. it was and it just got me thinking, God, this is horrific. No, however, yes. however, however far they fell under Coach Romar, you know how much I loved Coach Romar, and I mm-hmm. like Mike Hopkins. Once he I started like, fouling up three, you I, and him. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. But I don't. And now, now you might say, Mitch, oh, you don't remember the bad years, but I don't ever remember them being this like they're, they're being just a general complete disinterest. Now, I was thinking about. I sat there and I was thinking about, it, and I'll give you the floor in a second. I know I'm talking a long time. But but I think part of the problem is this is this is this transfer portal thing where they've got guys coming in and leaving after a year and then coming in and they're taking guys. Now, some of them are from here. I get it. There's Mm -hmm. the there's the Brown story. There's the there's the Dejon Davis story. But for the most part, they got guys coming in. You don't know who they are. They're hired guns are apparently not very good. You can't you can't even. There's no kind of momentum to the program. There's no, and and not, they're not the only one doing it. Maybe this is a problem in other cities, but you don't even know the freaking players. Right. You know, they were at 1.7 and three, as you pointed out, and third in the Pac-12. And if I would walked into that restaurant and said, name me a couple players on Washington, seven and three, to all those sports fans in there, I don't think mm-hmm. anybody could have named anybody. Right. I, I don't think anybody cares. And so not, I, so I asked, so I asked the question, how can, if you're Jen Cohen, who, by the way, Jen Cohen, and I don't remember, I, I wish I remembered exact. I wish I still had the text. Jen Cohen, the day that she hired Mike Hopkins, or the day after she hired Mike Hopkins, she sent me a text. It was very lovely. She was like, hey, hey, Mitchie, we got him. We, you got to be fired up. You got to be psyched. You got to be, you got to be beside yourself. We got the Syracuse guy. Yeah. She sent me this nice text out of the blue. Mm. And I can remember saying to myself, Ooh, I love Mike Hopkins, but I don't know. I, I'm not <laughs> sure that I, there was this 10 or 12 game period where Beheim got suspended by the NCAA in the middle of a year for some, for some sort of investigation. And Hopkins took over the team, the Syracuse. It was the first time we ever saw Hopkins as a head coach. All those years he was an assistant and now he's the head coach of the team for like an except like a month, like well, mm-hmm. maybe even more than a month, six weeks, and I, I just, vaguely remember that. And I just remember thinking, "Oh my God, he looks. This team is lost, absolutely lost." And they were horrific. They lost a lot of those games. And then Beheim came back, and they started playing better again. And Beheim mm. said, "Beheim, as you would expect, defended him and said, hey, hold on a second. Let's not judge Mike Hopkins. This is my team. These players were playing for me. And then all of a sudden you change their world and you make them play. That's not fair. Let's not be unfair. And so I was kind of like, am I over, am I over analyzing those 12 games? But I was a little unsure mm-hmm. when she sent that text that said, Hey, Mitchie, we got Mike Hopkins. You got to be fired up. You know, I was like, Ooh, I hope, I hope it's, I hope it works out. And of course, the first two years, I like, okay, what was I thinking? This, right. This is, this is unbelievable. He's going to be a Hall of Fame head coach. He's on his way to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> anyway, so I, I guess this is my long way of saying I'm really worried. I, I really, I, I'm really discouraged that we have a major Division I college basketball program in our hometown. 
It's a Pac-12 school. It's the University yep. of Washington. I know you're an Oregon guy. It's the University of Washington. It's a Pac-12 school that's got some history. The fact that people have such an apathy yeah. towards that program is just really disheartening. I saw the tweet when you put it out, and I've been thinking about it a lot ever since because I figured this would come up uh, as we record this episode. Yeah. And yeah. and uh, so I put a lot of thought into it. And I think you're talking about two different issues. And of course, it's multifaceted, you know, the program and Mike Hopkins and everything. And, and I, I still wouldn't be too quick to move on from Mike Hopkins. I don't think if I'm Washington, but I don't think this is a Mike Hopkins problem. I don't think this is a Jen Cohen problem. I don't think this is a University of Washington problem. I think it's a Pac-12 problem. I think this is this is what you find throughout most of the Pac-12 right now. And I think that if if Stanford or Cal were in the same place that Washington was and you went seven miles off campus in either of those towns, I think you would get the same kind of thing. I, I just think that in the Pac-12 and, and it's even somewhat this way with football. We look at the stands at, at Pac-12 football games and the fact that the, the Pac-12 championship when it was in Santa Clara, it, you know, the look at the stands for the for the conference championship in football it's a pac-12 problem pac-12 athletics are they've fallen by the wayside in terms of fervor there is no fervor for that pac-12 athletic well program. there's two different Whether things oh, hold on fervor and interest there's a lot of football field in between those two things yeah i understand well there's definitely no fervor unless okay. you're usc football okay. arizona basketball the but there's not a lot of interest. I don't think there's a lot of interest really? either. I don't. I really don't. Okay, but but Oregon's got a nice coach, and they've got yeah. interest. Arizona went out and hired the Weasels' assistant coach, and he's come in there and been amazing. And there's a lot of interest. I mean, a lot of the the, the schools that do have interest. I don't know if they have fervor, but the schools that do have interest within the Pac-12, they've got a, a coach that they can hang their hat on. And so I asked the question: Is my guy Hop the guy? That can that you can hang your hat on if you're the University of Washington. I mean, Arizona, they're on a one line, and you talk about Dan Altman, Oregon, whatever, and the transfer portal. And Oregon's dealing with the same stuff as Washington. Players coming in, players going out. You don't know who the players are, but somehow, and this is just Dana Altman's way, he just at the end kind of pieces it together, and they're a Sweet 16 team. But it's perennial success, and still, I wouldn't say that there there's that fervor even for Oregon basketball. There's interest there's interest but and they've had pretty a pretty good record of success the yeah. last decade yeah. so i just think that here on this coast and this is the problem that george kleovkov has to fix and has to find a way to solve you've he's got to generate interest in these programs again because unless you're a perennial contender yeah that's it's a big thud mm. Okay, well, we'll wait and see. So you think that they should bring Hopkins back and let him continue to coach? I think so. I think so. Okay. But you're not sure? No, not 100%. And you're not saying that because you want him back as an Oregon fan? <laughs> no, it's not like that. <laughs> I like Hopkins. I, I think he does a good job. I think his players respond to him. Um, you know, and I think he has kind of adapted too as well. And so I think that – I think he's a good coach. I don't know that. I don't have a hundred. I'm not pounding the table for, for Mike Hopkins or anything like that, but I, I like him and I wouldn't be so fast to move on from him. Okay. Three interviews. And then the other stuff segment deal deal. 
We are way past due for a visit from Zeke's president, Dan Black, on Unfiltered. Hey, Dan, how are you? How's Zeke's Pizza doing? I'm doing good, Mitch, and we're having fun at Zeke's. I know you are. Seems like fun stuff is happening every day. I understand Mark Few has a new place for pizza and hopefully not too much beer in Spokane. He does have a new place. He's looking forward to seeing you in the bar, or maybe it's the alley. I don't know. <laughs> how was the opening in Spokane? It was really fun. It went really well. It was really busy. We were packed out before the games, and so it exceeded our expectations, and feels good to have planted a flag in a new market. And Mill Creek is on the way. Is that right? Yep. Mill Creek's the next opening, and it's on track for March 2nd right now, so we're excited about that, too. You know what I loved? I love the cheat codes, the Zeke's Pizza cheat codes for the Super Bowl. The Levy family participated. I'm assuming that was a really good February day for you guys. Super Bowl is great, and we love the cheat codes, too. In fact, we love them so much. We've just decided to keep them rolling up until March Madness, which we'll come out with some more codes then. So what were the discounts on the pizza and beer, Dan? Well, this this round, we did $4 off a large, and we really promoted the beer. We got $5 off with a four-pack of Hop Tropic and some other beers. And so we'll probably do something similar, but we'll freshen them up uh, for March Madness. And also want to make sure that we get in on your pool for some prizes and oh. stuff like that. So that'll be fun. Oh, you will. Hey, Dan, before you go, spotlight one of your Northwest seasonal beers for us. Yeah, I'm drinking Flannel Blizzard right now. That's our winter ski beer. So uh, we do it every winter at this time. And it's the only time of year you can get it. Aslan out of Bellingham brews it for us. They're one of the best breweries in the Northwest. And it's super easy drinking Canadian lager. So, you know, you can do more than one and be fine. There's always good things happening at Zeke's Pizza. We love them as a partner. They've been great to me from the radio days all the way to the podcast days. Zeke's Pizza homegrown in the Northwest. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. The owner of Fireside Home Solutions, J-Dub, John Waterstrat. Welcome back to the show, John. Thanks, Mitch. Great to be back with you. John, the pandemic, the shipping challenges that come along between fireplaces and garage doors, which you do so well, the Seahawks, the Huskies. It's been a tough go recently, J-Dub. It has been a tough go, and I probably speak for some of those sports fans out there. It's been a rough year. <laughs> That's our stress reliever, I think, in the Northwest to see those Seahawks do really well and my beloved UW Huskies. But, uh, hey, we're getting through. We're managing through. For me, the fireplace unit, the garage doors, one thing. You've got great ones. Your competitors have great ones. The difference to me is in the process and service, and I know because I'm a customer. People have no idea. Walk us through what happens after someone decides that they want a new fireplace and they call the Fireside Home Solutions team. Yeah, we just talked a little bit about the stress, right? Sports have been tough. Pandemic's been tough. And and we really believe in this stress-free buying experience. And and again, you pick your product out. And what we want to do is just like what we did with you guys is we want to send somebody out there, an expert, to walk you through the process. Let's make sure everything's going to fit. Make sure you guys have your questions answered. Instead of having an installer there that doesn't quite know what to do, we don't have good expectations, and get that stress-free buying experience. And again, make sure that they can do their work and you can get what you want. We absolutely love our new patio and setup. What's the current time frame that the pandemic has thrown at you guys for garage doors and fireplace units? Uh, we talked about this in the past. Please talk to your sales rep about what we have in stock. If you need something fast, we're going to have things in stock, both fireplaces and garage doors. Other products, if you're patient and you really want something, we have things that are taking four weeks, sometimes eight weeks, and you wouldn't believe this. We actually have some garage doors that are taking anywhere between oh. nine and 10 months. Wow. That's unbelievable. So patience is truly 
a virtue. As I said, we're a great customer. We love them. They're the title sponsor of the Beat the Boys competition and an awesome partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. When three kids told Ryan Posborg that their mom and little brother were stuck inside this home engulfed by flames, Posborg didn't wait for fire crews to arrive. He ran right in. Episode 179, and every once in a while, you read a story about someone that just kind of transcends decency and humanity, and with football season in the books, plenty of time to shine the light on such people. Joining us on Mitch Unfiltered, I believe Green River, Wyoming is where we're headed. Resident Ryan Passborg is with us. Hi, Ryan. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Did I get it right? Green River, Wyoming? Where's Green River, Wyoming? Oh, we're out here in the middle of the desert. Uh, kind of about five hours from Cheyenne, Wyoming, uh, west of there. But uh-huh. just a small town, small community. Before we tell your amazing story, kind of clue our audience in on just who Ryan Passborg is. Just a normal guy? What do you do for a living? Your family? 32 years old. Tell us about you, Ryan. Oh, well, I'm just a working man. I work in the oil fields. Um, I stand 55 feet up in the air on the workover rigs and uh, Mm. trip pipe all day. And I've got three kids of my own, soon to be married. Um, Just a working man. So you were going to work at what time on Tuesday, February 1st, when all of this happened? Oh, I usually get up about 3.15 a.m., and I was running a little late that morning. Woke up about 3.45 in the morning. Uh, left the house about 4.10 a.m. and headed on out of the house here and was driving down the road. And I seen flames, and I out here in the boondocks, we think people still burn their trash every now and then. So the first thought in my head was, who would be burning their trash at 4 a.m.? Mm-hmm. Then I shortly realized that it was a house on fire. Did the morning seem different to you before all this happened, or was it just a normal day in the life of Ryan Passport? It seemed a little different. Usually I'm not running late, so Uh I've got to pick all the other crew members up from their houses, and for some reason I was running a little late that morning. Is it a good thing that you were running late, or would you have been in a better position had you been going earlier? uh, If I would have went been going earlier i don't think i would have seen the fire so there was a reason i was running late absolutely so tell us what you saw you saw a house that was on fire can you describe it to the best of your ability uh just a really dark night really cold it was about 10 below zero here and uh off in the distance there was a bright, bright glimmer of fire and you went right to the scene did you ever hesitate i did not hesitate i I downshifted in the truck and went from 45 to 75 and went blazing into their driveway and didn't hesitate at all. What'd you see when you got to the driveway, Ryan? When I got to the driveway, I threw the truck and park, and that's when I noticed three three younger children coming out of the garage door of the, the house that was on fire. How old would you say they were, these three children? Uh, at that time, I would have said 12 and under. And they were okay? Yeah, they were shooken up and stuff, but no no burns or anything like that. Just scared. One-story house, Rambler? It was a one-story house, modular home. Yeah. You see the kids coming out. They see a, a man come in in a truck 
and throw the truck into park. They don't know anything about you. You don't know anything about them. What happens next? I run up to the kids and ask them if there's anybody in ha- anybody else in the house, and that's when they kind of stuttered and mumbled that they couldn't find their little brother or their mom. What'd you do with the kids before you went into the house? And then we'll talk about how you went into the house, into the burning flames. I uh, told the kids to go stand behind the truck, and if they got cold, to get in the truck and not to follow me into the house. It's 10 below zero, for goodness sakes. Yeah, absolutely. And they had no shoes on. Oh, my gosh. Any hesitation to go into the house, Ryan? No, I, I went through that damn garage door like the Kool-Aid man. Really? Wow. Yes, sir. You had you had to bust through the garage door? Uh, it was closed. I didn't trim the knob, but I just went through it. It probably wasn't locked things. They just come right out of it, but I didn't even try to trim the door handle or nothing. I just went through the door. And when you got into the house, what happens next? When I got into the house through the garage, there was entry to the house. That door was cracked open and there was smoke and flames boiling out that door. And that's when I got down on my hands and knees and opened the door the rest of the way and went crawling into the house. Were you yelling for the boy? Did you know the boy's name? Were you yelling for the mom? What were you doing? I I can't recall, but I'm pretty sure I was just silent. I had my my sweatshirt over my my mouth, kind of, and my nose, and was just kind of feeling around, crawling around. Mm. Where did you find the boy? You, You found the boy first. Where was he? A uh, couple of feet through that first door, I, I would say five or six feet, and I bumped into the little boy. Uh, very, very dark inside, fire alarms blaring, full of smoke, and very hot. And I found the little boy, and I scooped him up around his waist and kind of just bear-hugged him close to me as I crawled crawled back out of the house. Was he responsive and conscious? Yes, sir. He was uh, fully aware of what was going on. Um, He did have some injuries, but once I got him outside, the other three kids were already in the truck staying warm, so I set him in the truck also. How how old was the little boy? Uh, Four years old. All right, so now you've got the kids out, and you are aware that there's one left in the house, and it's the mom. Yes, sir, and that's when I made entry back into the house through the same doors that I went through the last time and started crawling back through the house, and I heard some weird noises and realized that mom was taking her last breath air. How'd you find her? Same way I found little boy just crawling through the house and feeling around. How long did it take you once you went in the second time to find her, to bump into her unconscious? Uh, Probably about close to a minute. Never thought you wouldn't get out? Never crossed my mind. I just knew I had one one opportunity to make this happen, and it was getting too late by the second. Wow. How'd you get her out? I scooped her up under her armpits. I was down on my knees and put one leg up and scooted her across the floor and drug her closer to me and scooted a little farther back and drug her closer to me until we were able to get outside. How long did that take? Uh pretty tough guy um working in the oil field and stuff like that so probably about 30 seconds 45 seconds how tall and how much do you weigh ryan i am five nine and i weigh 185 pounds yeah so you get her outside the house the house is essentially burning down and she's not breathing what next um that's what when i got her outside i laid her flat on her back 
she was in bad trouble. Um, wasn't breathing, no pulse. And that's when I started performing CPR. And it worked immediately? No, sir. It took, uh, two sets of compressions, two sets of breaths. Um, so about two and a half minutes. Unbelievable. Ryan, unbelievable. And then the paramedics showed up and we got everybody to well, safety. When I was uh, performing CPR, that's when the, the little girl, uh, one of the first people that I made contact with outside, she had gotten out of the truck and had a phone in her hands. And I looked her and looked at her and asked her, did you call 911? And she responded to me and told me, no, she hadn't. Mm. And that's when I demanded her to call 911. And while, while I was doing CPR, I was actually on the phone with uh, the 911 dispatcher. How long did it take for them to get there? Uh, probably about between eight and 10 minutes. And so what's the situation once they arrive? She's breathing again. They get her. They tend to her immediately. The kids are okay. I'm assuming that the four-year-old boy was in pretty bad shape as well. Yes, sir. So after mom took her breath of air and sat up, I got her loaded into the work truck also. And they live in a long drive. They've got a long driveway to their house. And I got them all loaded up and I drove to the end of the driveway right to Highway 74 or 374, which runs through the middle of the town I live in. And I told them to stay in the truck and I waited for emergency responders. The first one to show up was a sheriff, a Sweetwater County Sheriff. And then uh, fire and rescue was after that. EMS was after that. So as soon as EMS arrived, uh, they took the little boy out of my truck and took him to the ambulance. And they had to get mom halfway stable, get some oxygen on her and stuff like that inside my work truck. And they asked me to go sit with the little boy in the ambulance because he was, he was scared, had every right to be scared. Mm. And then you go to work. I actually took the day off that day. Um, <laughs> I was gonna, ask, I was gonna ask if your boss insisted on an explanation of why you were late. Well, you know, they when I told them, when I called and told them that I wasn't coming to work and told them exactly what happened, they were a little dumbfounded. I don't know if they kind of like my dog ate my homework type thing, you know. Oh my God. And uh, then it's been all over the news and stuff like that. So they had it. They have no reason not to believe me now. <laughs> Ryan, police deputy Jason Maurer said the following. You know, as a police officer, most of the stories I remember involve bystanders helping first responders in difficult situations. I think this is the first time in nearly 15 years of law enforcement that I've ever heard of a total stranger truly going above and beyond in a way and in a situation that many wouldn't have dared to face. The mom was flown to the University of Utah Burns Center. I assume she's still there. This happened back on February 1st. She's in Salt Lake City. The kids are sheltered at the grandparents' house. And you, my friend, are about as heroic a person. I mean, I, I get a chance to interview athletes and authors and entertainers for the last 25 or 30 years. I can't ever remember being more impressed with somebody and their story as I am. I'm really touched, Ryan. I... I wonder how your life has changed and what you see when you look in the mirror. I'm just a human. I'm just, that's how I was raised. Um, honestly, if I see an old lady 
struggling with her groceries. I'll help her to her car. I raise my kids the same exact way. It feels right. Uh, it makes a better person out of you. And I just hope every little act that I do can help somebody, help brighten somebody else's day. Absolutely. It's funny. All of us that have never faced such a situation probably wonder like I do what I would do. I, I'd like to I'd like to think I would have done the exact same thing as you did. But you don't know, Ryan. You don't know. I don't know that I would be courageous and brave enough to do what you did until you're actually faced with the situation, right? Absolutely. If I wouldn't have been in that situation, uh, I would be in the same shoes as you. What what would you do? I mean, you can sit and talk all day long and say, absolutely, I would do that. Yeah, I would do what that guy did. Really can't answer that question or anything like that until you're faced, faced with it. The story doesn't even really end there. Tell everybody what you did after the fact when you went to the store. Well, so I got home and woke the fiance up and told her the kids up and just counted my blessings and loved on them. And I got a call from the grandma asking if I had any clothes or anything like that. And cause they lost everything. The house was a total loss. So I actually dug through my personal clothes, the kids clothes, everything like that. Found a couple outfits, took them to grandma's house and uh, dropped them off. And then me, uh, Alexandria price, my fiance, and her sister, Miranda Martinez, all come together and put some money together. And right. we went to Walmart and spent a couple hundred dollars on clothes and shoes and just necessities that we thought the family would need and delivered them to grandma's house. Do you have any update on how everybody's doing? Um, mom's doing as well to be expected. Uh, she actually got off the ventilator last night. Uh, the little boy has had one surgery now and he's actually walking without holding on to anything or anything like that and been doing physical therapy. Um, I talked to the dad almost daily and the man actually told me he loved me the other day and wants me over for Thanksgiving next year. Has life returned to normal for you, Ryan, with the exception of an annoying podcast host in Seattle calling to talk to you? <laughs> It's, it is back to about the same it was. I mean, I still have some thoughts and some images that I'll have to deal with for the rest of my life, absolutely. But it's changed a little bit because you never know what's going to happen. You could be in the middle of a late night sleep and your house catches on fire and right. lose everything. I mean, you got to count your blessings day by day. And it made me realize a lot of things. The world needs a lot more people like you, Ryan. You're truly an angel. Thank you so much for for being you, and I, I can't imagine somebody more heroic under the circumstances. And thank you for spending a few minutes with us and telling us the story here on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. Hey, look who's on the line. It's Lindsay Schwartz, the CEO of Daniels. How's Lindsay Schwartz doing? How are the restaurants doing, Lindsay? I'm doing great, Mitch, and the restaurants are doing great, too. It's uh, It's been a good run here the last few months. Trends are getting better and better, and uh, we're looking forward to moving into the spring and summer. You know what I haven't asked you in a while about the pandemic and how it's still impacting fine dining? If it is, 
impacting you guys at Daniel's Broiler? You know, for us, we do a lot of special occasion business, so we've been doing great for the holidays, as we've discussed, Thanksgiving, December, Valentine's Day. We get a lot of anniversaries and birthdays celebrated with us, so that that feels pretty normal. We're not seeing as much corporate business lunches, business dinners, happy hour, but overall, things are, are really getting back to normal, and hope that trend continues. I've always said that March Madness is my favorite time of the sports world. Lindsay, with the NCAA tournament and all the things that come along, you guys have your own long-standing tradition as well at Daniel's Broiler of Bellevue. Tell everybody about the 11th annual Bourbon Bash this year. Yeah, that's personally my favorite event that we do every year. It's March 12th at Daniel's Bellevue. And uh, we use all of the banquet rooms. We have vendors. All of our vendors bring their bourbons in. We'll have a selection of over 100 different bourbons to try, including some Pappy Van Winkle. It's a lot of fun. Great passed around appetizers. We've already got a bunch of signups. There's still some tickets left, but it's going to be a really nice event again this year. Danielsbroiler.com to buy tickets, correct? Yes. Okay. The other night, I look up and my wife's got the old-fashioned Daniels mixer out. She's got the bourbon out, all out of the blue. And it reminded me of your mixers on Amazon, which still are selling well. Yeah, they're selling great. I love to hear that. We've been on Amazon for over a year. Keeps getting busier and busier. And recently we launched locally at QFC, and that's off to a really good start, too. Okay, so the Bourbon Bash is March 12th. It's the 11th annual. It's at the Bellevue location. You can get some tickets at danielsbroiler.com. It's the biggest event they do over the course of the year. We love Daniels Broiler, a great partner and a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. It's Hayward pulling it down, getting around Zubat at midcourt, launches the shot. Oh, and almost went in! Almost went in, and Duke is the king of the dance, 2010. Episode 179 continues, as does the final season on the sideline. For the man many call the greatest college basketball coach of all time, Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, 47 years, 42 of them at Duke, five titles. Ian O'Connor has been a terrific sports writer for a long time. He's only 25 years old, but a long time. <laughs> a best-selling author, in fact. Earlier books on Bill Belichick and Derek Jeter. The latest, Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski, available everywhere where books are sold Here's Ian. How are you, Ian? Thanks for being on. Hey, Mitch. Thanks for having me. It's Good to see you. Great to see you. What'd you think of the Tar Heels chants at uh, Coach K the last time he was at the Dean Dome? Well, some people were uh, pretty offended by that. And listen, the one thing about Coach K, I think those around him would concede is that he's probably the most profane <laughs> basketball coach in history. I, I'll uh, Let me tell you a story, Mitch. In, in 99... I'm at an NCAA tournament game. It's Duke against Steve Alford's Southwest Missouri State team. Sure. I believe it was in the Meadowlands in New Jersey. And that was the first time I'd ever been seated right behind Krzyzewski's bench or right behind him. And I could not believe the level of profanity I heard for two plus hours. I had never, <laughs> I've been around a lot of profane coaches and I wasn't morally offended because I cursed a decent amount myself, uh, but it was, it was entertaining. I couldn't believe it. And I, and I said to myself, 
There are a lot of grandmothers in America who absolutely adore this guy. If they ever sat behind him, they'd be completely mortified. So <laughs> I'm not going to get too worked up about a profane chant in Chapel Hill. By the way, is he okay with that getting out? You know, about five or ten years, five years ago, it started to get out that he was somebody with colorful language and we would be shocked. Is he okay with that now being out there for all of us to know? Or don't you know the answer to that question? Oh, no, I think he is. He's talked about it. And I think he's talked about working on it a little bit. And I think over the years, he's gotten a little better. But man, you hear from so many people for the first time to be around that Duke Benz. They had no idea it was. and, And the profanity, it's not just profanity. It's extreme. And it's and it's relentless at times. So <laughs> I, I suspect I have not not sat by that bench oh. recently. So I suspect he's calmed down a little bit. Oh, dear. Before we get into him in particular, Belichick, I mean, you did such a, a great job on Belichick in your book. Belichick and Shashevsky, similarities? Yeah, similarities, Mitch, in, in their intense preparation, attention to detail, situational football or basketball, working on that more than any other coach in the sport. But there is a difference in terms of how they inspire and motivate their athletes. And that is really Belichick is not an emotion guy. Shashevsky is. Shashevsky charged into his locker room a couple of times as the uh, Mel Gibson, William Wallace character in Braveheart. I don't think Bill Belichick's ever doing that. And the level, the way he could dress you down and berate you and get right in your face. And in the NFL, you don't get to attend uh, much of practice during the regular season, but during training camp, you, you can see most, if not all of practices. And I, so I've witnessed Belichick and how he runs a practice. And the one thing I like about his approach is he doesn't get in your face. Now he'll cut you in half with sarcasm. I would prefer that approach, but you can't argue with coach K style. I think he is the greatest college basketball coach of all time. I'd put him slightly ahead of John Wooden. A lot of people wouldn't do that, but his style has worked and a lot of players have really appreciated it over the years. Ian, uh, why do you think Coach K passed up on participating with you for this book and how helpful was Duke? You know, Duke is a place that's been buttoned up for a very long time. It's hard to hard to crack that. Mitch, I thought the Patriots were more paranoid and more secretive than even Duke. I think the Patriots are like the Kremlin and and I guess Duke is more like the CIA. And so they were very professional. John Jackson was very professional, longtime communications chief there at Duke for Coach K. And I think Krzyzewski probably he's told some people this. He wants to write his own book in retirement. And in a nice way, maybe said to me, I did talk to him a little bit about it at Madison Square Garden a while back. But hey, why would I give this guy or any author my stories for free, particularly when I don't have editorial control? And frankly, I don't have a really good answer to that question. I'm not sure he should. Right. So, But what I do appreciate is he did not block anybody. And Belichick went out of his way to block people or at least try to block people from talking to me. So I I will always appreciate the fact that Mike Krzyzewski did not do that. Okay, so who's the one guy, the one person not named Coach K and not a part of his family that you would have liked to have had for this book that said no, or you couldn't get Christian Leitner. I, I would guess now I, I was told in advance that he's done doing uh, these kinds of interviews or at least for free. And uh-huh. so I didn't think, but I did talk to his brother and I did talk to his father and they were very good. They were very helpful. So I did get, I, I felt a good picture of how he felt about Krzyzewski and the way he was coached there. So Bob Knight is another person I'd put at the top of that list. And right now, health issues, I don't know if he was capable actually of of conducting an interview, but 
obviously just given the nature of their relationship and how it ended at Pinehurst six, seven years ago, I would have loved to have talked to him about why things went awry in that relationship and, and also the positives as well, because obviously Bob Knight is the one who raised him in the business and taught him how to win as a coach. And so I would have loved to have had that opportunity. That relationship is really complicated. I know. And you probably could have done a whole book on just Bobby Knight and Mike Shashevsky. Tell us more about Pinehurst and maybe kind of recap for our listeners the complexities of that relationship. The relationship was fine until Mitch 92 when Duke beats Indiana at the final four. Obviously that creates anytime a mentor is surpassed by a protege, that's going to create tension in the relationship. That's exactly what happened. And from that point going forward, there were moments real and imagined mostly real slights that Krzyzewski felt that Knight had really done him wrong. For instance, in Madison square garden in, in 96, December of 96, before Duke played Indiana, Krzyzewski walked over to the Indiana bench and Knight was no, nowhere to be found. He was effectively hiding behind a Madison Square Garden curtain. He came out at the last second and continued to ignore Krzyzewski. So wow. that, that night on the flight home, he told his wife, Mickey, I am done with this guy. Uh, never again. Now, he got past that. He had Knight present him at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. But things would constantly pop up in that relationship that would cause problems. It finally came to a full boil at Pinehurst in 2015, where there was a West Point reunion and Krzyzewski approached Knight at his table and Knight completely ignored him. Krzyzewski stormed out of the room and told his former teammates at Army, that is the last bleeping time I ever, ever do this. Wow. And my reporting shows that they have not spoken since that day. Wow. What's the issue? The issue is, I really think Bob Knight's issue. And Bob Knight's had an issue with a lot of people over the years, as you know, Mitch. Yeah. And again, being surpassed by somebody you trained, Bob Knight helped him wow. get jobs at uh, at Army, at Duke, at Indiana. Now, there's one thing that came up when when Krzyzewski was the Olympic coach. So Knight's feeling like I gave you all these jobs, or at least I helped you get all these jobs. I put you on the Pan Am game staff in 79. So the one time I asked you for a favor, effectively, he wanted to scout international opponents for the 2008 Olympic team. And according to a very close associate of Bob Knight's, Krzyzewski never returned that phone call. Uh -huh. So Knight really felt betrayed by that. So there are other things that would pop up as well. But that is one example of how Knight and Digger Phelps is quoted in the book. Phelps is a close friend of Knight on the record saying that and this was an answer to a direct question about Coach K saying that a big thing with Bob Knight is loyalty. If he feels you are disloyal to him, that is going to be a major problem. So, listen, I think Bob Knight is 98 percent responsible for the fracture or the breakup of the relationship. But if Knight supporters point to one thing, that usually is it. The fact that uh, Coach K was asked for basically a favor from a guy who had done him a lot of favors over the years and didn't respond to it. You know, Ian, Coach K is, uh, he is not, he was not a coach without weaknesses, as great as he is. I find it interesting um, that other coaches thought Mike's offensive strategy and prowess was not the greatest. It's kind of funny, Mitch, because he, he drew up arguably the greatest, greatest play in play the history of, of the sport. Yep. I was I was there in the spectrum in Philadelphia courtside and, and watched that play unfold, the Leitner shot, of course. But yeah, a lot of coaches said, listen, the guy's the greatest motivator ever. 
He's great on the defensive side of the ball. If he has one weakness, it's offense. And getting his best player a shot when he needs to do that. And some coaches pointed to the end of the Michigan State Elite Eight game when Zion Williamson just couldn't get into a good spot to to get the shot that Duke needed him to take. A little bit too much R.J. Barrett in the final minutes of that game. And Duke gets eliminated. And that special class didn't go to the Final Four, which was a devastating moment for Coach K. But his positives are so profoundly good that they overwhelm the one weakness, which is the offensive side of the ball. And I know coaches uh, talk to me about this. They said, when you watch a Mike Krzyzewski team play, you never really come away saying, I need that play or I need that right, offensive right. set. Right. So, but it, it's, it's a, it's a minor flaw. And when you compare him to wooden historically, I, I would give Krzyzewski the edge as the greatest ever. So clearly he overcame it. Communication though. When Mike Krzyzewski sits down with you, man to man, doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a CEO or ball player, doesn't matter. It's like nobody else. H- how is that? I- I've never been, obviously, in the same room in that type of situation. How do people describe that to you? As a very powerful thing, an asset that he has. And, and frankly, when I started the process, and before I talked to hundreds of people about him, I didn't know that. Uh, when he has you face-to-face, he can really reach you. He just has, and, and I don't think that can be acquired, I think most of that is you're you're born with just the ability. He was put on this planet to lead people and inspire them. And that's why he is who he is. And so that's exactly what I was told that no matter what uh, background you came from, how old you are, gender, race, he can inspire you in a powerful way. And I think that's a, that's a big part of why he became the greatest coach ever. And I've talked to people who spent a lot of time around brilliant Ivy league administrators, professors, Fortune 500 CEOs who told me Mike Krzyzewski is still the best communicator they ever met. Wow. And then there was 1995, maybe the most crucial year of his coaching life. I'm not sure that everyone in our audience knows how poor his health was as a result of coaching until his wife kind of stepped in. Mind giving a recap to that, 1995? Yeah, he was suffering a physical and emotional breakdown in every literal and figurative way. He was, he had burned himself out. He had driven himself into the ground. And Mickey, his wife, stepped in and forced him to go to the doctor and forced him basically to pick her over basketball. I guess he could have made the other choice, but she made a doctor's appointment and forced him to go and said, if you don't show up, I'll know what decision you made. And he showed up. So I think in some ways, Mickey, who really has been the co-head coach over the decades at Duke, very involved in every aspect of the program. uh, I think that basically she saved him from himself and coach K rearranged his priorities some and was able to come back from missing most of that season in 94, 95, a new, a new man really, and a new coach and got Duke back to the Mount in 99. They lose the national title game. But then of course, two years later, they win it all again. So Mickey is a very significant figure, not only in his personal life, but his professional career and his legacy as well. Another interesting and complicated relationship, Ian, involves a former player and coach who grew up about five miles from where I'm sitting today. Mercer Island product, Quinn Snyder, who himself hasn't had the easiest road personally and professionally. Why was the Coach K and Quinn Snyder thing different? It was different because Quinn Snyder is and was a genius, a master strategist, which again, 
was was Coach K's weak point, at least uh, offensively. And I think Shashevsky and talking to a lot of people around in and around that program, close to that relationship, they were fascinated by that relationship and felt that there might have been even a little jealousy from Coach K's end toward Quinn Snyder, this brilliant protege and. And Snyder had always had 5 million ideas in his head, not just about offensive sets, but just everything, everything involving the program. He just was full of ideas. And there were times people thought that uh, Coach K felt maybe not threatened by that, but just wanted to keep putting Quinn Snyder in his place to some degree. Snyder uh, is, a, is a great coach, no question about it. He obviously got into a lot of trouble with the NCAA with his program at Missouri now doing a great job with the Utah Jazz. But that relationship, players watched it. In fact, one player told me that he felt Coach K snapped at Quinn Snyder more than every other coach and player combined. Wow. I actually, at the game I mentioned earlier in, in uh, 99, in the I believe it was the Sweet 16 against Southwest Missouri State, when I just was blown away that, by the profanity, I was also blown away by the fact that he blasted Snyder twice in that game a trusted assistant coach on the sideline. And I thought it was a little bit too much. I was surprised by that as well. So clearly that was a, there was a very interesting dynamic between those two coaches. And a couple last questions. When we pick up the book, Coach K, the rise and reign of Mike Krzyzewski, perhaps the greatest coach of all time in college basketball, what will surprise us most? I, I love the handwritten letter story because it reminds me of Arnold Palmer. Uh, Arnold Palmer was legendary at writing notes to people who, uh, he'd get all these notes in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, and he'd sit in his shack and write notes. There's a similar quality there with Mike Krzyzewski. What might be some of the other things that surprise our audience? I, I think some people would be surprised, I guess, by the fact that there's more Bob Knight inside of him than he would want to admit for public consumption. But the difference is he would approach the line of what's acceptable as a coach and what's not, but never cross it the way Knight did. So his practices can be really brutal in terms of the language, getting in players' faces. And I think some people would be surprised by that the way I was sitting behind his bench. And, and also, I, I was a little surprised at people describing how I asked, how important is his pristine or the, the image of the Duke program is that it is the, the shining city on top of a corrupt hill? And there are people in the profession who believe that just doesn't match up with reality. And that's more perception than reality. But how much does Coach K really care about that? And I asked a, a lot of his players how important that was to him relative to winning. And to a man, the players said winning is much more important to him than that. Now, he enjoys that as a byproduct of the Duke program and, and the way I guess that program has, has carried itself, if you will. But that winning, there's no comparison. It's not on the same level that he is going to do what he has to do. If he needs to bend some rules, he'll do it. To, to win basketball games. And I guess that's why he's won nearly 1,200 of them over 47 years of Division One basketball. So this March Madness will be the end. Either he'll win, what, a sixth national championship for Duke, or he won't, and then he'll, quote-unquote, he'll ride into the sunset on some level. What will become of him? Will we see him on TV? Will we see him? I know that he's pulling a lot of strings at Duke. I know that the uh, part of the promotion of the book was the story about how Amaker was given the job and then he took it away from him or something. I don't want to put words in your mouth, 
He wants to have control over what's going on at Duke even after his coaching days. So what do you think the next few years look like in Mike Krzyzewski's world? He doesn't have a lot of hobbies, uh, Mitch. It's not like he plays golf a lot or anything like that. He doesn't play golf. He, he does a little gardening. He used to play a fair amount of tennis. I don't think physically anymore he's doing that. Right. But I think he's going to be very involved in the program. He's keeping his office at Duke. So I, I suspect he'll be in practice here and there. He'll be at games. And he's got his guy in place in John Shire. Tommy Amaker was offered the job. Uh, he left Duke 25 years ago. And I think Coach K clearly wanted to go with an assistant who is in the family right now. So he could maintain a greater degree of influence and control over the program. So I think you'll see him around. I think he'll be involved. I think he'll be an ambassador and overseer of Duke basketball. And well, it'll be interesting to see how John Shire handles that. Because I think if you were taking over a company, you probably right. wouldn't want the previous CEO to be on the board or right. hanging around as an advisor. So right. that'll be very interesting to watch. Mm. Last question. It's a simple question with a nuanced answer. Is Mike Krzyzewski a nice guy, Ian? <laughs> so I don't know if this is a nuanced answer to that nuanced question, but I would say he's a good man. I don't know if I would describe him as a nice guy, but I also don't know how many great leaders are nice guys if they're men, of course or nice people. So I don't really necessarily hold that against them. I think great leaders oftentimes can't be nice. And so I would say he is a good man. He's been a good husband and father by all accounts, at least those accounts that, that I've been able to, in terms of connecting with former players, assistant coaches, friends who knew him back in Chicago when he was growing up. That's the story that I believe is true. And, and what I believe I relate in the book but a nice guy is not really the way I would describe him. I would say he is a, a good man who's lived a great American life. Well, Don Rickles used to sing, I'm a nice guy. So I don't know if, if Krzyzewski is going to sing that song or not. The name of the book is Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski, best-selling author, Ian O'Connor. Thank you, Ian. Great to have you on Mitch Unfiltered. Let's do it again sometime. Thank you, Mitch. Much appreciated. When one of the nation's leaders in the mortgage business, Cross Country Mortgage, wanted to set up shop in Kirkland, they immediately called Mitch Unfiltered sponsor Jordan Flowers and acquired his entire team. So that's the way it's done. And here he is, the former East Lake and Washington State wide receiver, Jay Flo in the house. Hi, Jay Flo. Hey, how are you, Mitch? Mitch Thank the you kid. for the kind of Mitch, Mitch the, the kid. <laughs> Mitch the kid, the slicker. Oh, I love it. Uh, oh. How would you say the first year is going at Cross Country? And you've got a lot of news and notes on rates and limits and second homes. Lay that stuff on us. Yes, absolutely. Lots of news coming out. Interest rates are going up to get in front of the inflationary curve that we're all kind of seeing, experiencing, and hearing about in the news. Loan limits have gone up to 647000 nationally for a Fannie Mae Freddie Mac back loan. So anybody looking to buy a home in the 700000 range is looking yeah. at three to 5% down at this point, hoping to make home ownership more possible. And there are a lot of good estimations as far as even your home values increasing this year from the National Mortgage Bankers Association, five, six, 10% again in this market based it, off supply and demand. Jordan, if our homeowners are like me, they auto pay their mortgage every month and hardly ever take a look at their interest rates and opportunities to save money. So let's say I'm in year eight of a 30-year fix. I've got great credit. My rate's 4.5%. All right, I want to stay in a 30-year. 
What can a seven-minute call with either you or a member of your team yield me? Yes, well, we can yield you several hundred dollars a month in savings, yeah. depending on what you want to do. If it's a 30-year fix you're looking for, rates are still much lower than four and a half. If you're looking at a 20-year, we can shorten the term and still save you two, three, four hundred dollars a month potentially. So we would look at 15, 20, 25, and 30-year options for you based on what your ultimate goals are. Phone number to reach you? 425-890-2957. The Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage. Give them a call. See what Jordan Flowers' team can do for you. If the answer is nothing, you're only out seven minutes. That's not a lot. We love Cross Country Mortgage. We love Jordan Flowers. Great sponsors of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. It's going to depend a lot on Charlie's tee shots this weekend. Welcome back, Big Head! Just a little cut right down the middle, now moving to the right part of the fairway. We know they killed Khashoggi and have a horrible record on human rights. They execute people over there for being gay. Knowing all of this, why would I even consider it? Because this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to reshape how the PGA Tour operates. I've been an admirer of our next guest on this episode 179 for many, many years now, not to date him, because of his unfiltered nature. One of golf's preeminent writers for decades. You can catch his work on Morning Read now, the Sports Illustrated subdivision or whatever they want to call it. The Hawk, John Hawkins. How are you, partner? I'm good, Mitch. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Fun start to the season. You had Neiman winning yeah. over the weekend in L.A. at Riviera. You had Scheffler in Phoenix. You had the Hoagie story at Pebble Beach. But I think golf fans still remain more interested in A, when and where will we see Tiger again playing, and B, the latest in the Phil Mickelson ugliness with the Saudi tour talk. What do you think? Well, I think that's an apt summarization of the first six, seven weeks of the season, Mitch. I think things like like Scheffler and, and Neiman winning back to uh, maybe the two best players without a victory in America. I mean, excluding Oosthuizen. Neiman is, you know, he has to play in America because he's too good to play in South America full time. And, and Scheffler, obviously from Texas, but two, two of the best young players in the game and certainly among the very best without a victory on the PGA tour. So they both got that done, which is good. You know, you don't want to see anybody have to go too long. I always think of David Duvall in the mid 90s. He didn't win until 97. He was out there for three, four, four years before he won. And when he did, Mitch, he won a bushel of them right. quickly and then vanished just as fast, just as hastily as he uh, had arrived. But yeah, I think that, you know, anything that involves Tiger and competition is, I mean, those two buzzwords combined make for sort of the eternal story. Uh, that that flicker of hope amongst those who harbor such was only kindled by what he did at the father-son right. with Charlie. So uh, he showed, wow, you know, we, he showed us he can play. He can't walk great, but he can play. And, well, you know, when if you just leave the door a, a little bit open, Tiger's going to figure out a way to, to get through it and eventually get to places that, very few men have ever gone, if anybody. So uh, I, I'm anticipating your next question. Is he really playing the Masters? Look, all I can say is this, and this is just a common sense thing. If there's any way Tiger Woods can play in the Masters, 
He will play in the Masters, okay? I've known the guy for 26 years. He doesn't pass up major championships unless he's just forced to, physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever. Got to go that week anyway. Look, if, if, if he wasn't a past champion, which is silly, but he's going to go anyway to go to the dinner and take part of the festivities that come with being a member of, uh, of the Green Jacket Club. And, and so he'll get out there and walk and see what it's like. He'll, he'll prepare, I think, as, as well as he can, as if he will play. But I don't know that he's going to be able to handle that walk. And there's four days of it if he's going to be competitive. Yeah. I still think it's, I still think the chances are right around 50%. And I thought he sounded about like that, about a fit. I thought he sounded like a 50, 50 guy Saturday when he was on with Nance and Faldo. Yeah, so yeah. we'll see yeah. Mickelson. <laughs> well, you know, the, 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 the term there, Mitch is obnoxious greed. And what's the saying? If the shoe fits, I, I mean, this has become a, this has become like a cat fight amongst the Beverly Hills housewives. It's like everybody's getting rich here. Phil getting richer than anybody just about. And to his credit, he's done more to earn that wealth than just about anybody. Uh, his diatribe directed at the PGA tour in regard to media rights for players. He wants, he wants to own his likeness and his images and his, and the, the B-roll and all that stuff. But look, this is nothing, this is absolutely no different than the, than the same complaint Tiger had voiced to myself and Tim Rosaford after the tour championship in 2000. So that was 22 years, 21 and a half years ago. You reach a certain point of greatness where you don't want anybody to have any control over, over you, both fiscally, competitively, and whatever, however else you want to throw you know, your, ear, your, your, your willingness to listen and, and answer to the man diminished greatly as you achieve your own greatness. Yeah. So, right? I mean, makes sense. I think, I think Phil's just trying to throw a few blocks for people, have a little fun. But yeah, I think yeah. he's coming off like a yeah. – coming off a little, a little well, weird. I want to ask you about that because – I mean, does anybody want to hear a guy worth $500 million complaining about his media rights, yada, 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 especially during this, this day and age of the pandemic? You know, you and I have talked about Phil before. He's kind of been made of Teflon over the years, Hawk, whether it's the cheap shot at Tom Watson or the temper tantrum hitting the moving putt at the U.S. Open or it's the insider trading issue or the association with Billy Walters. Nothing has seemed to chip away at his overwhelming popularity. But this seems different. And maybe you'll tell me, ah, Mitch, this is just because it's what's going on now. But it just, it feels different. There seems to be a lot, a lot of vitriol being thrown his way. He's blocking guys on Twitter. People are taking shots at him. I'm seeing people say, hey, I always believed in Phil, but now with his position about Saudi Arabia, and he doesn't really care about the, the human rights issue or the going to use them. Mitch, yeah. Mitch, everybody freaked out after he hit the moving putt at Shinnecock in 18. Okay. By that Wednesday, it was over with. Phil gets forgiven almost by license, and I expect the same thing here. This is an inside baseball issue, 
Okay. This is, this is a story. I was going to write about it for this week and I, uh, but somebody else wrote it. They wrote it in a very harsh way and understandably so, but I didn't want to follow that up. I'll do something else. I don't, Phil Mickelson is every bit as polarizing of an athlete as his tiger. Right. I mean, he, there's lovers and haters and you're always with that emotional sway comes an immense range of opinion. And I think that after a while, everybody just kind of settles down and let's not forget, Mitch, the guy's going to be 52 in June. He's just about, he's just about at the end of the line. It's not like he's 25 and on his way to carving out his face in Mount Rushmore golf. He's on the, he's on the 18th fairway. And, uh, you know, I don't think that, Hey, Justin Thomas said it best. If he really wants to go over, I don't think anybody's going to stop him. And I, I think that's true. I think, you know, as, as for Twitter, that's more of a social media thing than I think a, a gauge of, of popularity or reality. I think. So people will forget it. I wouldn't say the, I, I would, I would prefer to say that it'll die down just like all those other brouhaha's okay. Okay. you, uh, you, you outlined. Yeah. Yeah. It just it just does. He's still Teflon Don. What about all of this with the with the tour and Greg Norman? Seems like a lot of cash and hot air to me. Hawk. Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau both sent out statements on Sunday saying that they're staying put. I don't see how a tour like this comes up and really rivals the PGA tour. Nobody's going. When's the last time you know I wrote this? Maybe you read it. When's the last time a rival league sprouted up and lasted? But the the uh, the the U.S. what was it? USFL. U.S. Football League. Yeah. USFL lasted two seasons, three seasons, and ended up with a one dollar settlement. Before that, the World Football League. Did they even get off? That nobody, nobody has challenged uh, an incumbent sports empire, a, a major league, if you will, <laughs> since the AFL, mm-hmm. since Joe Namath. Mm-hmm. Oh well, uh, the NBA and Julius Serving, but those were mergers. Those were compromise solutions. Uh, we could use them. You know, the old guys with the cigars say, you know, we could use some of those guys in that new league, make us stronger, make us more money. Let's work a little something out. But golf's different because it's an individual sport. And this is starting to shape up a lot like pro tennis, Mitch. I mean, uh, back back in the day, you have these these fractured – <laughs> these fractured factions <laughs> and you have a sport in a little bit of competitive turmoil because they hardly ever meet they, that, so many of the, I mean, 75% of the tennis tournaments, maybe more and perhaps 80% or certainly at least two thirds of all tour events really have no chance of drawing a premium field. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same 15 events. So that's about a third. Right. I don't think there's any chance that I think Norman's mission is, is, is I'll give him, I'll give him credit and call it mission noble, but it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's, there's nothing wrong with the, with the system we have. And come on, Mitch, you know, other sports, right? I mean, and NF, NBA, NFL's got players getting arrested every week. The NBA's got how's baseball doing. <laughs> I've heard I've had six people tell me baseball. I'm never watching it. Right. I mean, yeah. golf is in great shape. 
If you don't have Dustin Johnson, McElroy, if you don't have any of the top 10, you, can't you don't play. have a league, you, you don't, don't have, have a chance. prayer. You, don't have a chance. You, you kind of graduated from Tiger to Mickelson. I want to jump back to Tiger for a second. Sure. You said 50-50. You said if he can play, he'll play. I was wondering as I listened to you, would he play if he could play physically, but he doesn't think in his back of his mind that he has a chance to win? And the other thing I want to mention about Tiger is he likes playing possum. I mean, you heard him. You heard him a couple of weeks before the father-son deal say, I can't swing it. I can't hit it very far. I'm still getting my – I have no speed, I think he said. And then two weeks later, he was hitting the ball 300 yards. On occasion, he was driving it by Justin Thomas in the same group. And he played – I mean, I don't, I'm not saying he played golf like he could win tomorrow, but, boy, he he looked a lot better than he said he was playing two weeks early. So, so that brings us to Saturday with Nance that you referred to. I don't know. I, I, I tend to think I want to see the master start on Thursday without him before I'm ready to write him off for playing in it. Well, yeah, I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways to say the same thing. I mean, I just kind of strip everything down to its most basic form. Is the world's best, maybe best sporting event, certainly the best turn, golf tournament. Is it better with Woods involved? Well, yeah, yeah. I, I think even a, unless you really hate woods or, or just kind of mean spirited dude. Yeah. You, you love to see tiger involved. I mean, he kind of makes it matter, you know, still. And, um, you know how hard he, he would have worked to get back. I think, um, about halfway in, you were mentioning he wouldn't, I don't think he would play the bar is set on at the level that says, I don't think it's set at the level that says I'll, I'll only play if I think I can win. I think he would be willing to participate and sort of use this this particular as that particular week as a barometer for where he is. Right. Because you can't simulate the hills at Augusta National. Right, and right, you don't right. have to deal with anything more strenuous all year. So right. I think it. I, I still I think fifty fifty is good. I think if if he was going to play, but remember this last thought, Mitch, is that. He can't say he's going to play and then not show up. He's got to do it the other way around. Yep. He's got to play it cool, play it cautious until he has to make a decision because he doesn't want to disappoint people any more than they'll all be already be disappointed. Two last things for you. I'll let you go. Uh, two holes in one at 16, the circus hole at Scottsdale. And I guess there are players that still don't like it. What do you think about 16 at Scottsdale? Oh, wow. I, I, I was... I was bullish uh, on it, but what I saw last uh, two Saturdays ago was was awful. We can't do that. We can't have people throwing alcoholic beverages on the playing surface, okay? That's not acceptable in hockey. It's not acceptable in basketball, and it's not acceptable in golf. There is a code of, of, of behavior, and there is a, a respect to the competitor's that is to a greater extent in golf than all other sports combined. We show our athletes care and, and, and respect. Okay. I don't want to lose that. That was, I won't call it despicable, but it was stupid. How about Dave? Right? How about Damon and his partner taking off their shirt the following day? You all right with that? I don't like anything that makes the game look like a bunch of rednecks. And I, I just, I hope I'm not getting going to get myself, get a suit here. I, I like it when the game, I like it when the game behaves itself. And believe me, I've been in enough trouble in the eighties and nineties in my younger days. I was a little wild. Okay. So I know all about trouble and I know all about, you know, 
I listen to some pretty good rock music, and I can I can flip a, a finger in the air as well as anybody. Okay. Yeah. But I like that my game is a is a game of gentlemen and ladies, and that it treats everybody with respect and courtesy. And I would prefer that it remain that way. A shirt off doesn't bother me half as much as 400, 500 alcohol containers thrown. Many of them still half or, or almost full. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't like that. That's somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody's going to get a bottle in the temple, and then we're going to all have. Then we're going to have to shut the thing down for a while. Yeah. And that, I don't want that to happen. All right, last item. And I, I want to bring it up just because I don't think it got enough attention because it wasn't on the PGA Tour. But I got to believe, Hawk, when this season's over, we just started. But when this season's over and Hawk is doing a column, a piece on the 2022 year, that Harold Varner the third 90-foot walk-off eagle putt, <laughs> Hawk, come on, 90 feet for eagle on the 72nd hole to beat Bubba by one. Come on! Yeah. How, how does it get better than that? Oh. Well, you know, it, it didn't get the attention it deserved because, and that's one that would be one of the problems with the with the Super Golf League. Stuff would be ending at you know, ten, eleven in the morning, and most people don't know where to find it anyway. Hardcore golf fans do. That shot is going to especially for a guy who had never really won anything at the highest level. And he beat a better field that week. Was that the same week as Pebble? Or yeah, yeah. They had a world Great ranking field. rating of 42. Pebble had 36. So they had a significant, they had a 20% stronger field. It's a nice win for Varner, another guy who needed a victory, come close a couple times over here. That was a very good field. And yes, that shot will certainly rank in the top five. I don't think you could, uh, you could play two years and not see a, a better shot. But unfortunately, it, it got lost in the hole. In the whole brouhaha, the, the chaos of that particular week with the two, with the challenging tours. He's the hawk. He's as unfiltered as everybody else, and he hopes that we're not going to get sued after this uh, this latest segment of Mitch Unfiltered. We love you, John. Thank you very much. All the best to you. Talk to you soon. You too. Bye-bye. Well, it's a new year, and that means a new story for Mitch as it pertains to my quizzes from Katie Versio, senior financial planner, Evergreen Golf Call. Katie, how are you? I'm doing well, Mitch. How are you? I'm good, and I'm feeling like 2022 is going to be my year to do better than like 0 for 3 and 1 for 3. What is the theme of the three questions this time around? So the theme today is what has the market been doing so far this okay. year? So right. seeing how close you've been paying attention. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so true or false? Oh. Through January 21st, the stock market is up on the year. Oh, that's definitely false. You're right. It's false. It's down about 8% through the first few weeks of the year. It's been a lot more volatility than we've seen recently. A lot of that is due to the rising COVID cases. Mm -hmm. Also, you know, there's some geopolitical risks that are going on, as well as the threat of rising interest rates in the future. So overall, it's been a lot more volatile than, than we've seen recently. A rough start to 2022 for the stock market. Question number two, Katie. The bond market is up on the year. Is that true or false? I'm going to say true because when equities go down, bonds typically go up. So I'll say true. Uh, So that was a bit of a trick question for you. It's actually false. 
the bond market is down about 1% this year. So that is the conventional wisdom when stocks go down, bonds go up, but it's been an environment we're looking at rising interest rates, and that's been really impacting the bond market as well. All right, I'm one for two. I really need this one to get off to a good start this year in your eyes. So what's question number three? In a previous quiz, we discussed that the market measured by the S&P 500 has not had a correction since March of 2020. What percent down from peak to trough is officially considered a correction? Is it down 5%, down 10, 15, or 20%? I'm throwing out the extremes 5 and 20. This is what I did when I was back in school and I didn't know answers. So either B or C, I'll go, I'll go 15%. Ooh, it's actually 10. You were very close. We haven't seen a correction of 10% since March of 2020. The market's down about 8% right now. So now is the time for our evergreen clients. We're reaching out. If people have been in cash or wanting to get more aggressive, now with the market approaching that correction territory, it's a time that we're thinking about that for our clients. So here I am in 2022 starting off. Right where I left off in 21, one out of three, batting 333, but we still love Evergreen Golf Call. We love Katie Versio. They're a great partner. Evergreen is everything wealth. Unfiltered. Episode 179. We call this, Slicky, the, uh, the other stuff segment. The other stuff. The other stuff. Because there's All lots right. of, I, I always find that there's a lot of little things that are interesting in sports and non-sports that happen in between shows. Mm-hmm. I like to bring them up. Yeah. So do you want to start? Or do you want me I can to start. start? You start. I can start. Give me something. You know, I'm in, give me other stuff. Would I'm in I'm in Hotshot Scott's seat. Yes. Hotshot Scott, he's got all the he's got the music podcast. I know he brings a real musical element to this he does. to this podcast here. So I know that he would not have missed this news story. Mitch, Justin Bieber's tour has been put on hold. <laughs> Bieber's oh, got God. the COVID. Oh, he does? Yeah, he's got oh. the COVID. He's oh. got the COVID. It's been put on hold. Did you have you noticed this is something that Amy and I, when we were going out uh, a week ago, a week ago, Saturday, we were going out to play golf and we just noticed it was a sunny day. It was a gorgeous day here in the Northwest. Yes, I remember the day. And it was Saturday and it was like <clears throat> pandemics over. It was the feeling. The roads were packed. People were out. I think it's it's. And then the next week, everything changes. The guy, it's it's over. I think everybody's just decided. I don't know who got to get it done. Not <laughs> Justin Bieber. Not Bieber. <laughs> not for Bieber. It's not over for Bieber. He didn't get the memo. He's going to miss his Vegas show, right. which is very well, sad. Well, speaking of Justin Bieber, I remember a couple of years ago, maybe more than a couple of years ago, he participated in the All-Star Game weekend. He fancies himself a basketball player. Do you remember that? A little that? bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that, that's a perfect segue to my next other stuff. All-star weekend in the NBA. I have some thoughts. Okay. I do too. Okay. The slam dunk contest needs to go away. We're done. I knew you were, I knew you were going to say we're done. that too. We're done. And, I, and, and by the way, I'm not just going to be somebody who points out a problem. I'm going to be a problem solver. My teachers used to say, hey, don't be the person who brings up the problem. Help with the solution too. Okay. Maybe mm-hmm. you disagree, but I, I you know, I didn't see much of it. I wasn't even in, I wasn't even in that interested. But there's there's two huge problems to the slam dunk contest, and they're obvious. Yes. Number one is the guys we want to see play don't play. 
Mm-hmm. They they inevitably have guys we've never heard of that are at the end of people's benches. Nobody wants to nobody wants to participate. None of the stars of the game want to participate in the slam dunk. That's a huge problem. But you can get through that problem if you don't have to watch people missing slam dunks. Right. I mean, can we change the rule or something? Julia Serving back in the day, Michael Jordan, Dominique Wilkins, Tom Chambers. Um, what was the name of that guy? Terrence Stansberry. I don't remember. There's all kinds. <laughs> they weren't missing. I don't remember them missing dunks. Now, right. now, and, now they and go And I out. knew this would be your point. And I had a counter argument prepared I have, for just this thing. Okay, good. But oh, after okay. your counter argument, after yes. your counter argument, I'm going to tell you what I would replace it with. Okay. My counter argument is to both points. And yes. this is it. the best stars of today. This yeah. is my contention are not the best dunkers because I'll say this, the dunkers that they do get. And a lot of time it's like second or third year players, things like that. A couple years ago it was, it was Jones, Jones jr. And you remember the, 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 the Levine versus Gordon and everything. And the best dunkers I think aren't necessarily the stars, but They've had to progress and they've had to evolve and they are doing ridiculous stuff, stuff that we never would have yes! thought of when we're watching and Jordan missing. and because <laughs> it's so damn hard. The, yeah. the dunks that these guys are doing now, Levine and Gordon weren't missing, but they were like the elite of the elite. And and sometimes Derek Jones Jr., he wasn't missing. But he was he's an elite, an elite dunker. These guys are so damn athletic and they're trying stuff that Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilson Wilkins never would have thought of or dreamed of. I I give you that. And I give them a pass. I know because because every every two or three years, maybe every three or four years, you're going to get magic and just something that's going to absolutely blow your face off. I would like magic to be in the slam dunk. (laughs) Um. I don't know. You watch the contest and a guy misses three times and then he makes the fourth. The mm-hmm. fourth the fourth one, which is the one they judge because of the way the rule, I don't even know how the rules. The fourth one could be the greatest dunk of all time. But, but you the just, luster you is... ju- but you just watch the guy miss three times. He did it on yeah. the fourth time. Mm-hmm. Okay? You're I, right. I, I, I don't I don't you're, know. You're right. I don't know. And I and I I I can't go with you. I, I I go with you on the fact that maybe the best dunkers are the no name guys. I get that, get that. But that doesn't mean that that's what we're interested in. Maybe maybe America is interested in seeing maybe not the greatest dunkers, the second best. We want to see the guys that we know. We yeah. want to see the guys that we play, that play. I, I you know I, I don't know. You you could go to you could go to Harlem. You could go to Brooklyn. You could go to Chicago. You could go to L.A. and probably find guys that are better than even the guys in the slam slam dunk contest. Let's do uh, that too. Okay, but I, that's not to me the attraction of the slam dunk contest. We want to yeah. see people that we know that 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 resonate that we're familiar. I don't know. I, I'm this, making all well. This, then then, all then if stuff. you want then if you want to do something, here's yes. what you do: have the dunk contest as it is. I got a better idea. The NBA can put together a national idea. dunk tournament and have one of those and, guys come in and and they go head to head with yes. the NBA dunk. Now you've got something that's interesting. That's a human nature story. Now you got somebody yes. off the off the playground that's invited or two or three people off the playground right out of now. Rucker Park. Yes, and that and they are competing against all these guys we've never heard of <laughs> in the NBA. So got but I got even a better idea. Okay. What I think is a better idea. Number one, if you can, here's my first idea. If you're going to keep it the way it is, we got to reverse the order. This three-point shootout is far more exciting as is right now 
than the slam. I would switch the order. I want to end the night with the three-point shootout. That's really? first of all. Yes, I do. Okay. Yes, okay. I do. But okay. you ask me, Mitch, what are you going to do to satisfy TV and the network and the sponsors if you do away with the slam dunk contest? What do you Sprite and Taco Bell need something to sponsor. Horse. Stop. Now, Horse. okay, now hold on. Hold on. Bef- hear me out. You're too young. We're going to get we're going to now enter the difference between your age and my age. Okay. You've got to be too young to remember in the 1970s, which I do remember, the NBA on CBS, they had at halftime horse competitions amongst NBA stars. They had a full tournament that they played out over the year. They, I guess they did it in the offseason. You, you there was no internet or anything, so you had no idea who won. And every game, they'd go at halftime, they'd have one of the matchups. They'd show you the brackets, and like downtown Freddie Brown would be playing against somebody. And it was awesome! The creativity. They play horse, the real horse, two NBA stars. It was unbelievable theater. Bring it back. Can you imagine some of the horse shots? You, Could you, you imagine? Might be, you might be right. Hold on, hold on. Steph Curry playing horse. <laughs> Steph, just imagine that. <laughs> Steph Curry, he would go into the tunnel, right? Yes. He'd go down to the tunnel and he'd, he'd be out in the up in the I'm rafters you, doing his thing. I'm telling you, I have never been more convinced that my position is right on this. And anybody of 50 years or older that's listening to this may remember it. Horse. Okay. All I can, and if all you know, I can think of with when you say horse, horse, all I can think of, and and Amy and I were reminiscing back on the on the pandemic and the different stuff we watched at the beginning of the pandemic. Horse. Like, do you remember when they got all the NBA players like at their own home outside courts and they were playing like virtually horse? No. That was a disaster. Th- okay. Uh, this is <laughs> that's gonna, all I can think this of. This is gonna be slickly produced. This is gonna be Produced, it's going to be at half. T- it's going to be at the uh, uh, All Star Weekend. I'm telling you, horse, horse. What and if, if you don't, what if nobody makes anything? Oh, they're all. Gonna, <laughs> and, and here's a set. And here's a second idea. If you don't like horse, one on one. Let's get a little one on one tournament going. Okay. Who would you? I mean, mm. what if we put? Yeah, I, I'd watch that. What if we put LeBron James, Steph Curry, Zach Levine. Uh, Giannis. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, by the way, Carl Anthony Towns at like seven eight won the three point shootout contest. Not right? only won, yeah. but he he set the points record Ridiculous. for a round in the in the three point shootout. Who would you like? I mean, wouldn't you watch a, a little one on one tournament uh, between like the, the guys I just mentioned? Would you I'd watch, watch that? Oh, I'd watch that. Oh, for you sure. would totally. Watch Are you kidding? Yeah, I'd and, watch that. And you'd like it better than the slam dunk contest. I would like it also in 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 Congress with the slam dunk contest. <laughs> I don't want the dunk contest to go anywhere. Okay. I love the dunk the dunk contest. And I know this year's wasn't the best, but I love the dunk contest. All right, I'm done on the NBA All Star Weekend. I I took too much time. Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald. <laughs> Aaron, he gave us hope, Mitch. Yes. He yes. if there was one thing where you could be like, okay, I can I can stomach the Rams winning the Super Bowl. It was the report that Aaron Donald, if he won the Super Bowl, may retire. Which was the biggest bunch of bullshit (laughs) I have ever heard. When I heard it before the game, I said it was bullshit. I said it was bullshit (laughs) in the middle of the game, and I now say bullshit to you. There is no way that he would ever walk away from that money. No 
Way, go ahead. And now he says he might want to run it back. <laughs> Don't use those words. It's the words he used. Oh, you I can put quotes words. around it. Sure. Well, and that's but Mitch, that brought me to the question. I want to ask you a question. Yeah, important. Yes. because I like to know think, things and, about you. And by the I way, like I, to know your you have opinions on things, and I want to know about them. I think you and him, by the way, are built the same way. I think we're built very differently. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. What's okay. Uh which is worse? Run it back? Oh, I hate run it back. Or walk off. Oh, walk off by far. But I, <laughs> I intentionally we'll see if anybody catches it. I intentionally used the word walk off in one of my interviews on this episode 179. <laughs> just to see if I'll get any people saying, hold on, I caught you. You used walk-off. I did That's it on funny. purpose. You see if you can find, find the walk-off. In episode it's like, where's Waldo? Where's, where's walk-off? Find the walk-off. Yeah, I don't like run it back. It's too. I, everybody's using it now. It's become way too trendy. I don't like trendy stuff. All right, am I, I up? Know. Am I up? Yeah, yeah, go, go, go. Okay. We did the Tiger thing, so we don't have to do the Tiger thing in the Masters anymore. But I owe you something. What do I owe you? Oh, God, that's going all the way back to like Thursday. I don't remember. <laughs> what do I owe you? An explanation. I owe you an explanation as to why you could have played in the Champions Tour event. Yes. Did I not yes. promise you that? Yes, you did. So the Champions Tour event, which was in Tampa this past weekend and won by Bernard, Bernard Longer. He's like 90. He keeps winning. It's unbelievable. <laughs> They decided to give an exemption to a local. You ask the question, I mean, how good are these guys? They're over 50 years old. They're not that good, right? Come They're on. not good anymore. They're not, they, they, they've on. lost it. They're not that good anymore. Um, they gave an exemption to play in this event in Tampa to a, 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 I guess, a prominent local pro of a golf, of a nice golf club in the Tampa area. I guess they do mm -hmm. this from time to time. They gave him an exemption, or he went out on a Monday and he qualified. I'm not exactly sure how he got in. But yeah. And his name is, and I hate to do this, his name is Mike Ballier, and you may have seen this on Twitter as well. I kind of hope you haven't. I haven't. Okay. His name is Mike Ballier. Can I tell you, this is pro, a pro. Mike Ballier's three, they only play three rounds in the Champions Tour. Can I tell you Mike Ballier's scores? Oh, no. Go ahead. He started off in round one with a solid 90. You were asking, I can't, I, I'm lucky to break 100. That's what yeah, uh, that'd be a really good day if I break 100. 90. He had 90 to start. <laughs> he backed it up on, on Saturday with a 95. Oh, you like to back it up, yeah. And then on Sunday, <laughs> he came home in 96 shots. He finished He finished plus 65. <laughs> okay? Bernard Longer, the winner, finished 16 under. Green River Community College math tells me that he was only, he finished after three rounds, Mike Ballier, 81 shots back of the leader. <laughs> in, and three if, rounds, in three not rounds. Not four. No, three. three rounds. And if that's not enough, Jay Haas, you know the name Jay Haas. Yes. You know Bill Haas's son. Yes. Jay Haas was a very good player over the years. Jay Haas finished in second to last place, just above Mike Ballier. So how many shots behind second to last place was Mike Ballier? Oh, my God. It must have been 50 shots. 43 shots. Behind. <laughs> so he finished 43 shots behind second to last and 81 shots behind the lead. Now, 
We laugh. I'm sure Mike Ballier is not laughing wherever he might be in the Tampa area. But what? Why? What? Why? Why is he playing in this thing? Honest to God, why? Why did he accept? I mean, you might say, okay, he had a bad week. No, no. If he's a good, if he's a decent play, he doesn't shoot right. ninety nine. No, 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 he should. This is a. He made a mock. And by the way, how do you feel if the, you're the guys those three days that played with him? Uh-huh. I guess Jay Haas must have played with him the final round. Sure. But how do you feel if you're playing with a guy who shoots 95, 96? Bored. <laughs> more, than, more than bored. Angry. Yeah. It's oh, hard. Sure. It's hard to do your job when you got a guy yeah. shooting 95 or 96. I'm sure. Oh. <laughs> Oh, anyway, all right. There's 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 another stuff segment for you. Go ahead. What do you got? We've we've talked a lot this offseason um about the defensive coordinator and Clint Hurt and everything. Yes. I was somewhat encouraged. I was somewhat uh I was warmed up a little bit to the idea of Clint Hurt hearing his comments about how he wants to be I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. I see you shaking your head. You're better than this hot shot. I know. I, think I know. I'm not though. Slick. I'm yes, really not. Slick. You've been around for too many years to fall. Okay. The, okay. Fall but he wants. He wants to blitz a little more. Oh. He wants to use Jamal Adams. Come on. You're falling on. for the bullshit press conference. <laughs> no, but what? Well, hold on. What year did you join me on KJR? Would have been 2011, 2012. We're 11 years ago. <sighs> You still don't know not to fall for the ball, fall for the bullshit press conference. Okay, but not the rah rah, but just the idea of being more aggressive. It's a young staff. Youth usually means aggression. They want to try different things. I was somewhat encouraged. Shame on you! I thought I taught you better. <laughs> uh, talk to me after week one next week next year. Uh, and, and, t- and give me the numbers on the blitzes. Show me Jamal Adams playing close to the line of scrimmage. I, they, did, they did it the year before with him. Yeah, they went you know enough so they could yeah win the damn record. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he and, and and he was so effective, which he was, that they then didn't blitz him at all the following year, which made a a really a lot of sense, didn't it? <laughs> made a lot of sense. Okay. Uh, let's see. What do I got? Oh, I got one for you. Yeah. College baseball. Oh no. I, oh, I got two. Ooh, you want. You want halftime? All right, I'll do them. I'll do give them me, both. Give ways. me one, and then I'll fire a quick one back at you, and then you can wrap it up with Re- the- really quickly. Um, Pepsi sponsors the halftime show of the Super Bowl every year. Yes, it's they've done it for ten straight years. How much do they pay for it? Stump the band. How much does Pepsi None. pay to to sponsor oh. a halftime oh. the halftime show of the Super Bowl? Oh man, it's got to be fifteen minutes long, presented by Pepsi. It, that's got to be $100 million? $50 million. Okay. $50 million a year is what Pepsi... It, you just want... Oh, a year? I thought for the 10-year contract. No, 50 oh, million. 50 million a year. 50 million a year. All right. Um, They're done. You just watched the last Pepsi halftime show on oh. Sunday. It was a good one. You watched the last Pepsi halftime show. So uh, the NFL, I'm just mentioning this, if anybody's listening... That wants to, maybe Daniels wants to do it. Um, <laughs> they're looking for a new halftime sponsor. The Kirkland office of cross country mortgage <laughs> halftime show, yeah. not cross country mortgage. The Kirkland office of yes. cross, Jordan flowers, 50 million. All you, if you got 50 million burning a hole in your pocket, you can be the, uh, 
The name sponsor of the halftime show. Go. You're mm-hmm. up. You're up. <laughs> okay. Uh, have you been watching? And and this is the thing, because I think about things that I watch and I think about you and I'm like, what the hell does Mitch watch? Cause I, I honestly have no clue. I, I don't watch anything I, anymore. I'm but have you, worried. have you been watching uh, Pam and Tommy? <laughs> oh, I thought that was a movie. Well, it's a, you know, it's like a mini series. Oh. You know, like the, yeah, yeah it's a no. mini series on, on, you know, on it's Hulu. funny because I see the clips on Twitter all the time. I don't know how I do that. Yeah. Every time I go on to Twitter, I get these promotional clips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's advertising. It's everywhere I turn. And I always say to myself, boy, that that quick glimpse of the girl in the uh, of Pam mm-hmm. in the car. Mm-hmm. I swear it's actually her. But then I take a good close. I mean, it really they did a like- real good job yeah. with her. Lily James is the actress. She okay. was in Baby Driver. Yeah. I think she's British. Yeah. Uh, they did a real good job with her. I don't know where those came from, but they managed to make it work. But the guy, the guy, the actor, Sebastian Stan, who plays Tommy Lee. Yeah. And they did. There is more shots of his junk in this movie Ooh. than than I've seen probably in all the collective. And it was just in one episode, like, like 10 real? minutes. It was just Is junk, it really junk, his? junk, junk, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Well, whose is it if it's not there his? Were, well, the prosthetics, you know, it's Hollywood. <laughs> they are very generous to him. Well, very, very generous. No, Tommy <laughs> Lee was, was renowned for the size. Well, of yeah. Him. Well, yeah. He yeah, and him Milton Berle. Like Jeremy. He and <laughs> you can, see there, uh, there, ladies and gentlemen, there's the difference between Slicka. <laughs> Slickhawk. <laughs> went, went Ron Jeremy and I went Milton Berle. <laughs> Need we say anything more? Uh, I grew up shooting threes. I'm sorry. Yes, you did. And I long twos for me. Long twos. Yeah. Um, yeah. you didn't bring up Brian Flores getting a job. Uh, it's on my list. It was there. It's in there. Okay. You want to say anything about that? Uh, I mean, I think Mike Tomlin did him a solid. I just I found. That it was when I just saw a senior defensive coach, linebackers coach, I just kind of let out a big sigh. But I guess, you know, Mike Tomlin obviously realizes the importance that Brian Flores get working again in this league. We saw what happened with Colin Kaepernick and how easily it is that that somebody can be left by the wayside for whatever reason when their name is, you know, put in controversy in the NFL. So Mike Tomlin got him a job quickly and that's that's good for him and hopefully he can no matter what happens with this lawsuit he can further his career and get back to to where he was because so you're focusing on mike tomlin and i'm I, i'm more i'm more interested in the dynamic of the pittsburgh steelers ownership versus the nfl everybody mm-hmm. just assumed that when he filed the lawsuit that oh he's never getting a job in the nfl again and not yeah. only did he not wait a year or two now as you point out it's not even a coordinator job so mm-hmm. let's not let's hold the horses a little bit but there were a lot of people that were writing, okay, Brian Flores is never getting another job in the NFL. And yet, here we are two weeks later, and the Steelers hired him. I'd like to know behind closed doors the conversation between the NFL and the Roonies. Sure. Ah, that's what I want. Was the NFL like, you know what? We've got to prove because of the Kaepernick thing that we're not going to blackball this guy. Mm-hmm. Let's let's go out. Was the NFL like, let's go out of our way and get him hired somewhere right away so right. that we don't have to deal with that? Or was the NFL the opposite, which is screw him. Nobody, nobody should hire him. And so did yeah. they Michael Sam it or did they call in Kaepernick? Don't know. It? Don't know. I mean, don't they've know. done both. They've done. <laughs> All right, my last thing is. Um. College baseball is back, and I wouldn't normally bring that up, 
But there was something historic that happened in college baseball over the weekend when uh, perennial powerhouse Vanderbilt played their first series. Do you know what happened? No, I don't. Okay. I think we have a tendency to go overboard on everything. And I'm not talking about you and me. I'm just talking about in life. I mean, but us two. Us two. (laughs) Electronic wristbands. Are, okay. are now a thing in, in college Division One baseball. For the signs? No more. Do you realize that Vanderbilt played a full game or a full series and the catcher never put any fingers down really? for the pitcher? Instead, you had, instead you had on a one-way electrical hookup, you had the pitching coach of Vanderbilt in the dugout sending not only to the pitcher but to every player on the field, including the catcher and all the fielders, what pitch was coming and where he wanted the pitch. Wow. Every pitch, no fingers down from the catcher. Now, I want you to ask me the question that I thought of immediately. Come on. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Why this is mysterious? How does this work? I'm, I don't know. I never know where your head is at. But I, my my question was, how easy is it going to be to intercept? Oh, for I, the uh, for the I, opposition, because that's thought, what MLB's that's what the Astros are going to get working on. <laughs> I thought you were going to ask me, how does the pitcher shake off a pitch? And and I guess you wouldn't I, in college. You probably don't, though, really. I mean, at that level, I mean, it's called by the dugout, right? You probably don't shake off a, a pitch too much. Not too much, but I'm sure they do. Yeah, I guess. The answer is you don't. It's over. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> if you're, you're, you're throwing the deuce. <laughs> uh, what do you think about that? Uh, this is a That's trial. Fine. This I think that's fine. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one who's for much uh, advancement of technology or anything else in baseball. I think life, baseball, baseball should be left the hell alone. I think. Okay. But, so you don't like this. But this 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 doesn't bother me. This doesn't you want feel the umpire? like you want the uh, robo umpire. No, no, I don't want that. You don't want I that. don't want that. But a more efficient way of, you know, getting the call to the pitcher. And now now there's no sign stealing and all that. I'm OK with it. It's just you check the thing. OK, they got wristbands and everything else. Right. It's, I don't I don't really that, that doesn't bother me. I don't really care that much, but I'll pretend that I do. OK, for unfiltered. And my unfiltered opinion is catchers, I mean, we're telling pitchers and catchers that they don't have to think and, and learn the game anymore. And, and, and uh, I, why? I mean, let, let the, I mean, I, I, They're doing I, it already though. I know, They're doing it already. I, They're I calling the game from the dugout. I know they are. But Mike Zanino, you know, for all that he, all the credit that he got for all those games that he called at Florida, how many games does he call it? The games are called from the dugout. They always yeah, are. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's just a more efficient way of doing it. They don't steal this. This one, I, and you're talking to somebody, I don't even want replay in baseball other than maybe like home run, fair, foul, that's about it. So I, I, I don't I don't like progress when it comes to my baseball, but this, yeah, this is fine. There's for me. something about nine guys in the field before every pitch looking at a watch. Do I really maybe I'm just old and this is a get off my lawn moment, but nine guys before every pitch. Looking at a watch to see what's coming. Ah, they're already doing it. They're pulling the little baseball. paper out of their pocket for their defensive alignment. You see them all the time. It's no, no, no different. Oh, that's different. That's different. How? 
Well, outfielders don't know what pitches because because pitches off speed versus fastball mm-hmm. tell you whether the pitch the the, the hitter sure. is likely to be ahead of the pitch and pull yeah. it or not. Yeah. Now we got all, all the we got all the fielders knowing exactly. I don't even like the shifts. I think the shifts the shifts have hurt baseball for personally. I I, I, I do not like the shifts. They it's add made, an element. They add an element. It's it's. I don't like it. I want more. I want my old time baseball back. I don't love it, but I don't. But I what I don't like more would be creating a rule against it. If that makes sense, I don't love the shift. I don't love what it's done to the to the offensive game, how it's helped the defense and pitchers. But I what I really don't love is the idea of of making a rule saying you got to have two on this side, you got to have two on this side, you can't move around. It's tricky. But you know what I love more than anything. Uh, professional baseball. So hopefully we'll get to see that soon because that's not looking good. <laughs> Anything else on your list? That is, I that covered it. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's, that's the list. I didn't have any, you have any, I don't know how you guys do all these RIPs and stuff. That's way too depressing for me. I don't know. I'm a happy go lucky kind of guy. <laughs> do you want to do the, uh, the jokes to end the, the show? I, I only had, well, I had two, I had two, I had two Juwan Howard jokes and I already did one. The, the other one, he's, He's a longtime Michigan Wolverine. With that situation, he's wish he's wishing like he was the X-Men Wolverine, whose limbs regenerate faster than Howard's coaching career probably will. I don't know anything about X-Men. I don't know. I, I you, imagine my surprise. <laughs> Except that I had to reserve 23 seats one day to something. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> that was Iron Man. That was Iron Man. <laughs> X-Men are coming, I think. Uh, I think they're going to do X-Men again. Take us out. Episode 179. Take us out. Yeah, it is episode 179. Uh, is in the books. Let's go. Let's go.